Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of October 2022, uh, which means we are once again in the midst of Kyle's Killer October event mm-hmm. month. Uh, essentially what that means is Kyle is in charge of all the programming content for the podcast this month. Uh, and Kyle, would you care to uh, inform our dear listeners what the, uh, the, the core theme of this month's programming might be? This month we are doing Rob Zombie movies. Uh, did you hear that, by the way? I did not. Oh, no. Okay, that's all right. Um, so, yeah, we are doing Rob Zombie movies. We started the month with uh, the orig- his Halloween, which is more or less a remake. Um, I think we went to uh, Lords of Salem next, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I believe that is correct, yes. Lords of Salem. Uh, what would we do last week, then? Oh, ha- we started with House of a Thousand Corpses. House sorry. of a Thousand Corpses. I, I misspoke. Yeah, House of a Thousand Corpses. Then we went to the Halloween remake. Last week we did Lords of Salem. This week we were splitting hairs trying to figure out which one we want to finish with. And we're like, we do not want to rewatch 31. And The Monsters is not the right film for this format, I don't think. Uh, so I'm like, let's go with Halloween 2. I feel like it's one that I've seen pieces of and remember nothing of. Uh, and you've never seen this one. And it gets a lot of hate online, uh, and it's ranked down at one of the bottom overall Halloween movies. So we're like, okay, well, if we we tried watching 31, I think we can probably get through Halloween 2, because there's no way that it's worse. And it's not. This movie is, way, this is Citizen Kane compared to 31. This movie's amazing compared to that. Um, but yes, this movie takes place a, a year after the events uh, from the first Rob Zombie Halloween movie. Um, so Trevor, I, I know that you don't really, I mean, you've barely touched on Rob Zombie, but what were you expecting in this one? Uh, so I was expecting, I was expecting a mess, honestly, <clears throat> because I know this movie, I knew this movie purely by reputation. I, I had mentioned in weeks past, I, this was my first time watching this movie actually, um, however, most of what I heard uh, about the movie was like groan-inducing dream sequences. Like uh, that was kind of the word of mouth that I was getting around the internet and through people I knew uh, in my orbit who had seen the film was that it's oh, it makes not a lick of sense, and there's all these weird-ass dream sequences that just bog the thing down. Mm-hmm. That is true, but if you push a lot of that bullshit aside. It's not a movie without value, if you ask me. In fact, a lot of it is actually pretty well made. Mm-hmm. I was kind of shocked. Like I was yeah. like, this is the movie that people dunk on all the time? It's like, huh. This this is probably near the lower tier. Like It's probably the top of the lower tier, honestly. It's, it may be like in the middle, honestly, in terms of quality Halloween sequels. Because this is nowhere near as bad as Halloween Resurrection. Nowhere near as bad as Halloween 5. Nowhere near as bad as Halloween Six. It, it's it's a okay movie, honestly. I was I was kind of taken aback. Like I was expecting it to be quite a lot sloppier and having a lot more navel gazing, I guess. Like mm-hmm. a lot more look at me, I'm Rob Zombie. Look how crazy I am, kind of shit. Not that I think that of Rob Zombie. It's just that's what I was expecting this to be. Mm-hmm. But no, like I found that that was actually 
comparatively a fairly small amount of the screen time of the film mm-hmm. and then when it's a straightforward narrative it's usually pretty easy to follow and decently well shot as well i think he kind of uh wrote himself into a corner with you really kind of explore michael myers his michael myers in the first movie you get a sense of his home life and it's hard to kind of leave that behind in the second movie it's like well now what do we do uh like how do we how do we explore him like and he just kind of makes up a, a whole new thing for Michael. And I don't really think it works, but it was uh, an interesting way to go, I suppose. It was a creative way to go. It could have been worse, but I don't particularly care for it. Um, <laughs> you said that this does this movie does have some value, and I think that there are some amazing shots, like just some amazing cinematography in this movie. Like, I think it's... I said Lords of Salem was probably his best-looking movie, this one, for what it is, it's supposed to be slashers. This might be his best-looking movie. It's just, like, like, on the screen, personally. Yeah, I, I actually might have to agree with you on that. I was really shocked uh, by mm. some of the cinematography. Like, there's, there's some beautiful establishing shots of some of the locales that they filmed in. Apparently, a lot of it was shot in Georgia, mm. um, and a lot of it was shot under terrible weather conditions, apparently. Like, uh, troubled production in many ways, but... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of well constructed, well lit shots in this movie. Uh, it's directed with a far more even hand uh, than the first Rob Zombie Halloween film, which, by the way, I I uh, I have to apologize for nobody on the internet who cares except for me. Um, I I did miss I misspoke uh, on our Rob Zombie Halloween review because I think well actually I can't confirm if I said this I think I said that. Uh, Halloween 2007 was produced with Rob Zombie having a lot of creative control. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that's actually not true. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, my wires got crossed because I was researching both films simultaneously. This is the film that he had near unlimited creative control, whereas the first Halloween was uh, produced under the watchful eye of the Miramax fellas. Um, and apparently they had lots of notes, uh, and our boy Rob Zombie found it quite exhausting to work under those conditions, such that he very nearly did not come back to do this sequel. He outright refused to come back to do the third one, but um, I'll just toss this out there real quick, Kyle. Um, if you had to guess, um, after the proven success of Halloween 2007, if you had to guess, if you have any ability to guess at this, like who other, who the other directors that may have been courted uh, to do a sequel to that film might have been? Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> shooting, <laughs> shooting big, aiming big. I love yeah. it. Um, no, I'll just tell you. Uh, actually, uh, previously featured on Catching Up on Cinema, uh, Julian Maury and Alexandre Bustillo, um, hmm. the directors of the French horror film Inside. Um, oh. Apparently they were they were being courted uh, to direct a follow up to Rob Zombie's Halloween, um, and there were creative differences such that Rob Zombie took it upon himself to come back and take the reins from them. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to get that out of the way uh, right off the bat that uh, first Halloween Rob Zombie had a lot of hurdles to to overcome in terms of getting his quote vision on the screen. This one. Apparently he had too much control because there was a lot of wonkiness that ended up in the finished product that I'm sure some of the execs, like some of the studio execs, were not particularly thrilled about. In particular, that white horse motif, um, Mm. which the story goes was just uh, done out of whimsy, apparently. 
Rob Zombie took a drive one day, saw a, a white horse on the side of the road, and said, hey, that would be cool to put in a movie, and then took, like, the completed screenplay and just kind of inserted that <laughs> as an element to be in the finished film. Why, wow, a real John Peters move. Uh, it's got to be a giant spider. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, <laughs> while we're apologizing and going back on stuff, uh, I want to say The House of a Thousand Corpses. I said that baby sang uh, Betty Boop song. Uh, it technically wasn't Betty Boop. It was actually the American singer Helen Kane, uh, who I believe uh, actually sued <laughs> the uh, uh, whoever the whoever came up with Betty Boop later, and because whoever did the Betty Boop shtick, she said stole from her because she's the one that did it originally. But I thought it was the actress who voiced Betty Boop singing the song in that movie, but it wasn't. It was a different actress. So well, I thought that as well, and uh, I would. I'm not surprised at all that Rob Zombie would probably be the He'd type of person know who that. would be yeah. aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he does seem to have a fascination with antiquated media, in particular mm-hmm. the 1970s as a as a time period and an aesthetic, um, but also just the silent era, like the silent era of film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he makes a he, lot of allusions and a lot of like homage to to that era of film, even in this film. Yeah, I was going to say, he probably knows uh, what, uh, oh, who's the actor who played Herman Munster in the original Munsters? Fred Gwynn. There we go. He probably knows what his blood type is. <laughs> yeah, he probably knows all, everything. Um, but yeah, but Halloween 2, uh, yeah, I, when I re- watched this originally, I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Because I just, maybe I just wasn't paying attention, or I might have had some substances and just didn't really know what was happening, but I'm like, when is this happening? Because I'm like, I thought... Daniel Harris died in the first one, but she's totally alive in this one. I'm like, okay, and Loomis is alive. I'm like, I thought he died too. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. Uh, and Lori's going out. I'm like, why is she going out? Like, I feel like she would want to be at home. Uh, so yeah, it was it was very strange. But this movie uh, takes place a year later, uh, and strange things start happening to Lori. She starts having some hallucinations, and she's dealing with that. Loomis is written a book and he is capitalizing on this massacre which is an interesting turn to take for loomis i kind of like this turn instead of him being like the loomis and the all the rest of the uh the halloween movies where he's always trying to stop michael and always trying to help this loomis is just like eh, he's dead wash my hands of this now i'm just gonna make money off of this what do you think about how uh how he treated loomis in this movie uh i was thrilled honestly like i was really excited to see them make use of malcolm mcdowell in this particular way because that this is the correct use of your malcolm mcdowell (laughs) yes he is a heel he should be a heel yes he is not a face he is he is the heelist of heels like like he he's got x-pac heat honestly like for fuck's sake the man is very comfortable on the set of caligula like like this is old hat for him <laughs> like making a spectacle of himself and being an ass hat comes very naturally to malcolm mcdowell him getting fed at the end of a clockwork orange where he's just like smacking his lips and then like opening his mouth I'm like that's good and i don't know if this is true but i believe that he did the opening scene like the the, the droogs scene where they go to the house and terrorize the people there it was silent. They weren't talking, but he decided to do singing in the rain. He decided to sing, and I'm like, "That's fucking brilliant." It 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 brings it up a whole other notch. I'm like, "Wow, that's an in- interesting interesting take." The story goes: there's a moment in Caligula where he places a flower in a in a gentleman's asshole, oh. like in his anus, 
And that was improvised, apparently. Did he go full butter, or did he just put it in the crack? He, like, I, if I remember right, I think I saw the shot. I haven't seen the entire film, but I, I saw the moment, and I think he was, he's, like, walking by the person who's, like, has their, their butt hanging out in the air, and he just, like, comes back, and he's just like, bloop. <laughs> like it's like he's he's like putting the finishing touches on a painting or something he's like i see a detail that needs to be here this flower needs to be in this man's ass <laughs> brilliant brilliant yes this is this is <laughs> this is how you use your malcolm mcdowell i'm really glad that this is the direction they took for him um yeah but uh you want to talk about the movie yeah absolutely let's get into it so same cast as before we've got a few uh new additions to the rob zombie cast uh and a few people that we left behind uh, I think Sid Haig was still alive. He was still alive, but I don't think Sid Haig is in here. Bill Mosley's not in here. Um, and we get some new people. Uh, what's the actor's name? Joe Chill. Um, Richard Brake. Richard Brake. Uh, I, this is him kind of making his first appearance as a character in Rob Zombie's films. Uh, the other two guys are from the Munsters movie, Jeff Daniel Phillips and uh, Daniel Roebuck. You'll, yeah, they're from that. And I think there's probably a couple other people sprink, sprinkled in here. And I know that you were probably itching to talk about uh, one Superman alumni that he threw into this movie. I wasn't sure if you were going to talk about it. Uh, actually, the, the cast of this film is pretty remarkable. Like, that is one thing I'll, I'll give Rob Zombie all the credit in the world for. When, when he... When he assembles his cast of players, like he's he's very good at at finding character actors and familiar faces that, even if you don't know your name, even if you don't know their name, you're you're just happy to see them, and it's it's a laundry list, honestly. But yes, I did catch the Superman alum, and in fact, uh, she was celebrating a birthday a few days ago. Uh, unfortunately, passed away, but her birthday was a few days ago, as of uh, the date of our recording. Okay. There was another actor in here. I didn't catch his name, but I had a feeling you were going to bring him up because I saw all the stuff he was in. I'm like, there's a lot of Trevor actor faces in there. <laughs> a lot of ones that he likes or knows. So, um, yeah. So I guess let's. Uh, I guess we'll. I do not like the flashbacks with mom, or the stuff with yeah. This stuff is bad. Um, I guess we could just tell you. You want to? Did you tell the white horse story yet? You you already told that. Uh, I, I I mentioned there is a white horse. Um, however, are you able to explain the white horse? Because I am, am not really. <laughs> I'm not really qualified to. No, I mean, that's it. Uh, I guess the there's a white horse that his mom gives him to a different actor playing young Michael Myers when he's at the asylum. And he's like, I had a dream about a white horse. She's like, oh, cool, here's a white horse. And that's in the movie. Yeah, so th this folks at home, uh, this is what is called a retcon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> retroactive continuity. Um, so at the beginning of the movie, we do have, I think it's a shot from the first film, where it's it's snowing out and we see Sherry Moon walking to the sanitarium. I think that's from the first film. Um, but if memory serves, the, we cut from that to the other actor, like the Daig or whatever his name was in that, yeah. um, saying, fuck you, I hate you all. <laughs> but here, uh, it's a different actor portraying the young Michael Myers who's in the sanitarium under Loomis's care. And then they have like a, a lunch get together, his mom and him, and she gives him this white horse figurine. And 
I guess the horse is supposed to be like a protector or like a symbol of of her essentially mm-hmm. of like her still maintaining a connection to him but the story goes they changed the child actor just because the other kid got too tall like he got too old to like in the past two years so they like the ages didn't quite match up um but yeah this was a curious element because i think we actually start the movie with a title card like explaining in psycho in psychological terms what the symbolism of a white horse is intended to mean i don't know if there's any truth behind that or if there's any any studies about that particular imagery done but that is how they chose to begin this movie and like i said it was a last second addition on the part of rob zombie he just said i want a white horse in the movie it might be some freudian nonsense uh yeah like he had interesting ideas but like the most most of freud's stuff was it's completely outdated and nonsense so um but let's talk about this opening this opening sequence i love this a shot of just you just see a, a woman or a young girl in shadow walking through the town and i thought that this looked great but it's actually Lori walking with a gun uh, what what'd you think about the sequence i thought it looked really good i i'll just say it right off the bat the first 20 minutes of this movie excellent. are excellent excellent straight up just straight up excellent in fact i'd argue it's some of the better halloween content that exists in the franchise i was shocked like pretty much up to the end of Michael's initial rampage here in the beginning, I I thought it was fantastic. I was really shocked by how good it was. Um, and yeah, we we get the title of the film. It's just like a snap title card, um, and the audio playing over it, I think, is the gunshot from the conclusion of the first Rob Zombie Halloween film, where. Mm-hmm. She's supposed to have shot Michael Myers in the face, and we get that Texas Chainsaw Massacre style ending where she's covered in blood and like yeah. wigging out. Um, I think the implication, just based on the construction of his mask for the remainder of this film, is that she shot him in like the sinus cavity, like under the eye or something, mm-hmm. because there's there's a gash cut out of the mask there, um, and I think that's how they explain that he's not dead. It's like he didn't get shot square in like the frontal lobe or something. He got shot in the skull not the brain meat um but yeah this this it's chilling just these shots of this like blood-soaked figure of a woman just kind of shuffling down the street with a pistol in her hand and then uh brad Dorif, uh the sheriff of the town uh he pulls up alongside her and i i think he like has to talk her down and she keeps moaning about i i killed him i killed him and then she's like trying to replay the events in her head of like i went into the i hid in the closet and then i fell off the roof and i killed him i killed him and then he i think he rests control of the pistol from her and then do we go straight to the hospital from there yeah we get uh we get Lori's gurney meltdown she is having a fucking full-blown panic attack screaming fit through this hospital she's like the actress is doing a very good job um we get uh, we see Loomis on a gurney as well, and we have Coroner taking Michael's pictures. <laughs> so a little jump of the gun there, <laughs> thinking that he's actually dead. Um, yeah, did anyone put any fingers to this man's throat? Did anyone check the carotid or anything? Like, <laughs> um, but Lori's surge. I like the I like the uh, surgeons getting prepped. I just like the back and forth them prepping her. Uh, the practical effects look great here. Uh, all the stuff, all the gashes yeah. on her look look really good. Oh yeah, the, it's the uh, the makeup effects in this are truly gruesome. 
Um, yeah. Some somebody looked looked at some medical photos for sure because uh, this looks very it's grisly, but it, it also seems very genuine. Uh, and she is mm-hmm. she's a wreck. Like she, yeah. her leg is busted to shit. Her one hand, all of her fingers are pointing Smack. the wrong directions. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I, that's something that, that always works for me in film is is a uh what is it it's like practical practice oh go ahead no like like the the workplace chatter that goes on in mm-hmm. a in a surgery it has just like this is their day yeah. job yeah yes it, it reminds me of when uh when they're taking murphy uh, the man who will become robocop mm-hmm. when they're trying to resuscitate him the tone that they hit it's so dro- it's just a droning like by the numbers they're running down a checklist they're doing a job mm-hmm. it's a thing that they do very routinely like to them it's yeah it's it's never going to be 100% like easy to do but it's it's a job and so to hear them be so just like callous and droll about things it adds a layer of authenticity and i think they do a thing with the editing here that they do that Rob Zombie seems to really like to do in his movies where they they're cross-cutting between multiple events happening at the same time so we're showing her being operated on and we're also showing Michael being loaded into the back of an ambulance as well like simultaneous to each other yeah, it's like we're it's just efficient i think it's just efficiency it's like yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's a good it, time saver it's a good time and saver. also it it works for this particular narrative because we are intentionally trying to parallel these two characters so Mm-hmm. You may as well keep that theme ah. like, running right from the start of the film, and uh, they do—they don't do the best job of like maintaining that. I will—I will say this movie does hit hit a point where it stops working as well as it was. Um, but this opening, this first half hour, or so I have very—I have almost nothing bad to say about it. Um, yeah, we get Richard break the EMT. Uh, he's going with this older this older gentleman the his the guy driving the uh, ambulance was somebody I thought you might know because he's I think he's just like a character actor in a bunch of movies that you would probably have seen you know it's funny I haven't done I haven't dug into his filmography but he's got one of those fucking faces that mm-hmm. it's like I have seen this guy in countless things um, his name is Dayton Kelly. Um I, I know he's done a lot of TV work in particular but no, not a guy that is like special to me in particular, but I just need to say this is like does is is this the beginning of Rob Zombie's love affair with Richard Brake's mouth? Uh yes, I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think every filmmaker that works with Richard Brake falls in love with his choppers, like his chompers. He I mean, he is a bizarre-looking guy. He's he's just one of those actors is like who just looks default sinister. Like he just has that gift. Yeah. Uh, kind of like uh, Charles Dance. It's just like him in Alien 3. It's just like he could turn it any minute. I'm not buying it that he's a good guy in this, but he ends up being a good guy till the end. Yeah, actually, I remember being a little kid and watching that movie and just being like, he's he's up to no good. <laughs> yeah. Like the entire time, up until he got his head ripped off. I was like, you know, this, this guy, I can't trust him. He's got one of those pointy faces. Like everything on his face has a point to it, including his eyebrows. Yeah. What the fuck? This man is sinister. Yeah, Richard Brake gets so many fucking close-ups of his teeth, like lit to perfection in his mm. couple of minutes of screen time. In fact, his death scene—I want to say 
is drawn out specifically because Rob Zombie was just like, man, look at that guy's mouth. <laughs> I, I want to get to that. I sh- for sure want to get to that. But yeah, he's having a conversation with the guy driving the other EMT, and he's just like, man, that chick in the back's pretty hot. I'm thinking about becoming a necrophiliac. I'm like, my God, Rob. All right, I don't care about this guy. Just couldn't help yourself, Rob. (laughs) You know what? Make him a likable character so his death is a little bit more, like, it it hurts even more. It's like, I don't care if this guy dies. Thankfully, we actually do get a couple of likable characters in this movie. Mm -hmm. Something that is often missing from a lot of Rob Zombie's movies. Um, We'll we'll get to it, but Richard Brake is not one of them. He's not one of them. I do do like the way that they're going back and forth, and he just goes, Cow! What cow? Like, and he just hit this. Cow. It's really funny. Um, oh, this Kyle. Oh, sorry ahead. to derail for just a second. Speaking of cows, there's a rumor swirling that a Twister Two works. <gasps> oh, god damn it! But your two best characters from that first film are six feet underground. So what are we doing? Who? I don't who know, you, man. Uh, it had to be completely maybe. New maybe they'll. Uh, maybe they'll. They'll write Carrie Elwes back into the franchise because it's now going to be a franchise. Like, oh, he didn't die. He, his SUV got slammed into the ground, but no, he's 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 in it for the money, not the science. Dude, there's uh, Carrie. No, oh, he's dead. Fuck. Uh, yeah. So he he died in the first movie, so he can't even get Carrie Elwes yeah. back. So yeah, Bill Paxton uh, unfortunately passed away. There, there are certain actors. It's just like you shouldn't touch any of the movies they were in because there's zero zero people that could live up to like doing that character again. One is Bill Paxton, and the other is Philip Seymour Hoffman. Try yes. try yes. getting try redoing before the devil knows you're dead with any other actor as that as that character. It doesn't work. It's not going to work. Yeah, truly, no other actor could wear a dumb hat and say it's coming. <laughs> it's coming right. It's for coming us. right for us. <laughs> oh, those aren't the moments I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> oh man, um, that was more like Bill Paxton. <laughs> uh, so this driver is dead as fuck. Uh, he his face is a mess, uh, and Richard Brake is just going through something here. This was uh, I wanted to ask you about this. What is what is wrong with him? Does he got does he have like a, a really bad head injury and then like some broken bones and he like his body's natural painkillers are going away and it's all starting to set in. I don't know what he's going for. I think it works. I think what he's doing it it works, but I just don't quite know what he's doing. Uh, if I had to guess, probably a, like a below the waist situation, because he he makes no attempt to get up. Like he does shift in his seat, but he he constantly is just yelling "fuck" every time he tries to move. So if I had to guess, like his legs are shattered or something, but probably. they didn't, they never show you that. I was it's for sure just, they were going it, to. The camera's locked down. We're just, I'm telling you, man, just Rob Zombie fell in love with this guy's mouth and just wanted to shine a light on them choppers. And just have him open his mouth and go fuck a whole bunch for like two minutes straight. Um, but this kill, whoo-hoo, it's a doozy. I gave a, I <laughs> gave a literal Will Smith whoo when I was watching this. It, yeah, you know you dead. <laughs> so yeah, there's like this banging noise that's happening. And we, the viewers, know that Michael Myers is trying to kick out the back, and which is what happens. And I love how he must have been listening to that conversation because he just walks up, picks up a piece of glass, and decapitates this dude. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty juicy. 
So, like, one of the best compliments I can pay to the the nature of the kill sequences in this movie is uh, the sound design is, like, holy shit tier uh, in terms of, like, uh, attention to detail um, and the unnerving feelings that it brings on. Um, because I actually didn't need his his whole... I didn't need a depacketation. Like, I didn't need him to take this fella's head off. That was just kind of like the cherry on top. Yeah. But when he's raking this piece oh. of glass, and we get these just, like, camera in in the neck wound, like, like just, like, super close-up grisly shots of just meat being flayed, like, when he's doing that sawing motion, you, you hear some genuine sound effects in there that's like, you ever, you ever eaten a steak dinner? Like, a tough yeah. steak? <laughs> like, yeah. Foley. <laughs> uh, Foley. Mick Foley, yeah, the Foley, the Foley artist, yeah, was uh, pretty great in this. I have to Some, really... someone I hope got a bonus or got paid well because uh, this and uh, later on um, the nurse Octavia Spencer, mm-hmm. um, some of the stabbings that happening there, uh, fantastic sound work. Uh, a lot, a lot of the kills in this have excellent sound. Uh, um, it starts the peter out a little bit towards the end but yeah. in the early goings it's all it's all fantastic uh great performances too i think uh pretty much everybody's uh doing a really good job i think the actress who plays Lori, she has a few moments that are a bit silly but on the whole i think this is everybody does a really good job in this i i've long said this i, I do think rob zombie is pretty good at handling his actors um, sometimes he gives them too much slack. I'm looking at you, Bill Mosley. Um, but it, he does seem to know what he's asking for and seems to know how to ask for it. The only problem is, as, as it tends to be the case in a lot of his films, I don't know if what he's asking for is what I want him to be asking for because Scout Taylor Compton, who plays Laurie Strode in, in this and the previous film, um, she she must have lost like 15 pounds working on this film um, because she is just shrieking and flailing about for about eighty percent of the runtime of this movie. Uh, yeah, it's like, like the, it's like the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre when she literally gets away at the end and she's just screaming. Yeah, but it's the whole movie. Yeah, and she's just constantly at eleven, just shrieking and and rolling around on the floor and stuff. It's like Jesus Christ, woman, like calm down. <laughs> um, and it's it's a it becomes obnoxious uh, just due to the repetition. But it's skillfully performed. I, mm-hmm. I I can't disagree with that. It's just it's like for fuck's sake, shut her up. <laughs> shut <laughs> Get that some dog up, tape, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So he so Mike is just kind of walking with this head in his hand, uh, and <laughs> anytime I hear a decapitated skull hit the ground, it it sends a shiver down my spine. I don't know what it is, Conan, uh, Jeepers Creepers. Anytime I hear it, I'm just like, oh, that noise. Um, but he sees his uh, mom with a white horse off in the distance. So, like, okay, Mike's going to be hallucinating. We kind of assumed he was, but he is going to be hallucinating throughout the film. Um, then we get Lori at the hospital. She's waking up from, you know, from surgery. Uh, she goes to Daniel Harris's room. Um, and then I think uh, Nurse Octavia. I don't know if that was her actual name. It was just Octavia Spencer, so I just called her Nurse Octavia. No, um, her her character name is Octavia. Nice, nice. That's a <laughs> That's cool name. Yeah, it's a cool name. Why not? Yeah. Uh, she ends up uh, her and uh, Lori cross paths, and she's like walking her back to her room, like, "Hey, can you get there by yourself?" 
because uh, she has to go take care of something else. But uh, Lori doesn't quite make it. She's like kind of woozy. And she's just kind of getting dizzy. Um, and then this scene is, it starts off really well. It gets really brutal. And again, Octavia Spencer does a great job here of dying. Spoiler alert. Yeah, Octavia Spencer is a fantastic actress. Um, it's kind of funny, actually. Like, a decade later, she'd get, like, her own, not slasher, but, like, like killer Mama? horror movie called... I think it's just Ma. Ma, okay. Um, Mama, I'll never forget, because there's this guy I used to work with who was really hyped for the release of that movie, which... Oh, I saw it. I think yeah. was, like... I think it was, like, a Guillermo del Toro, like, produced movie or something. It was one of those. There's don't a fall lot for that. of those. Yeah, don't fall for yeah, that. don't dude. fall for that. That guy bit for that hard, but he used to run around... He used to run around the workspace going, Mama! <laughs> because that, that was the act, that was the advertising campaign for that movie. <laughs> we would... Uh, my buddy and I... When that movie Rush with uh, Thor... Uh, Chris Hemsworth was coming out. There, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a song in the trailer that was like uh, they had done like uh, like a voice modulation. It was I could stirp, and <laughs> we would walk around doing that all the time. I could stirp. Yeah, I remember you doing that when we used to. Work together. <laughs> <laughs> I could stirp. I could stirp. I never watched. It's funny that, because but. we had we had that one. We had Rush in the late two thousands or whatever. But then before that, we had Driven. Uh, the Sylvester Stallone movie with uh, Sunshine, uh, the actor who played Sunshine in Remember the Titans. Um, and uh, it, uh, was it um, Ugo Stieglitz is in there as well? Mm. <laughs> um, anyway, the advertising song they used for that one was, We're going too fast! We're going too fast! <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, Fun things yeah. that you pick uh, up oh, on. Go for it. By the way, uh, another uh, blink and you'll miss it cameo of which they're innumerable. So I'm probably going to miss a fuck ton of them. Sorry out there for the five people who care. Um, I believe the actress's name, and I'm just glancing here, Carolyn Williams. Not a household name, not a name that I recognized, but a face and an accent that I absolutely did instantaneously. Uh, I believe she was the lead in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Um, She plays one of the doctors here in the opening. Uh, and she's she's just here for a couple seconds, but she and Octavia Spencer have a fun rapport. They have like a brief moment of dialogue. She um, looked familiar, but I I kept thinking that she was uh, Cusack, Joan Cusack, not Joan. What's the other one? The other there's another Cusack sister. Uh, I thought it was her, but I'm like it's not her, but it could be. Um, yeah, the other Cusack sister. But anyway, yeah. Uh, the, the, this whole sequence is is really cool. Um, because it's kind of an instance of trying to give the audience a little bit of what they want mm-hmm. while while also doing an original film mm-hmm. at the same time. It kind of fucks you in that way because as a short film, I think this is excellent, like just this hospital sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it, it comes to a halt and we still have movie. Like we have an entirely different story that we're going to tell. So it's unfortunate that it's like, I kind I kind of just like this well, like like the rest of it's not bad like it's not horrible but that opening was really good. Same with uh, like I was saying like there, you have to kind of because of Michael's trauma as a kid and that being kind of what sets him off and you kind of have to revisit that. It also he's try I think he's trying to ground the movie into this century. It's just like 
that was a slasher. He had no motivation, at least in the first movie. He's just kill. And this, it's like, he needs something more than that. That's not going to just make sense to the... It's, he's not Anton Chigurh. <laughs> like, you have to give him a bit more characterization. Um, well, but, and the, I think the story goes, like, Rob Zombie wasn't a super fan of the Halloween franchise when he when he took the reins, like, as a director. Um, and a big, like, a constant theme throughout his filmography is that there's a desire for him to do things his way, like, like approach things from the angles that he, he chooses to. Like, he doesn't seem to respond well to studio mandates and whatnot. Um, which is why, I, I, like I mentioned when we did the Halloween review, the, the Halloween 2007 review, I'm really curious how these movies would play to a contemporary audience in 2022. Because with all the serial killer media that we're so inundated with these days, I feel like if you could get past the Rob Zombieisms, like I'm looking at you dialogue from the first one, it's it's toned down somewhat in this one. The the structure of that first film in particular, the fact that it does allow you the the chance to attempt to sympathize with the killer because you have more insight into what created him as a killer mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm curious like if if more contemporary audiences you know not in 2007 in 2022 like how they would respond to this because it seems like pretty standard stuff by yes. today's standards a sympathetic <laughs> villain at least a villain that you can sympathize with later in the movie but yeah. well, and and you know, people have a tendency to read each like read others as math problems, where it's like such and such thing happened, therefore mm-hmm. it created such and such personality or whatever. It's like people aren't math, but you know, in in stories, in storytelling, it's convenient to go about things that way. It's comfortable uh, to have things play out in a way that makes sense to you, the viewer. Um, I do like how this 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 starts off with Octavia Spencer. Uh, she goes up to her, like Lori goes up to her, is like, "Hey, can you help me get back to my bed?" And she just turns around, and she's just got like a slice in her face. And I'm like, "Oh shit!" And it's not it, it it doesn't look brutal. It looks very minor, but it's enough like like a, like a shock basically. Uh, she's just got like this slice in her, and she lets out a howl basically. And here comes Michael. Um, Lori takes off running, obviously. Um, but this is brutal. <laughs> she gets straight up Zodiac. <laughs> uh, just <laughs> like a knife in the back. Uh, and she sells it. I think she might, this might be the best one. Uh, I think this, she probably had the best, best death screaming in the movie, in my opinion. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned the screaming because that's mostly all it is. is you yeah. don't really see anything. It's all sound effects and uh, physicality on the part of Tyler Maine just swinging that knife because we don't actually see the stabs we just hear the sounds and we see him putting everything he's got into it um by the way this is also grunting yeah (laughs) yeah that was the thing i was going to point out is this is another version of michael myers that uh vocalizes when Mm -hmm. he's exerting himself not something that every michael does but this one Tyler Maine is is doing a lot of <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it. I I prefer to not hear him breathing except when he's calm. Like that was what kind of made him chilling was like sometimes you'd hear him breathing in the first Halloween, the original Halloween 78. And it was not when he was doing any killing really. It was just like when he's staring at the guy, I think you can kind of hear him 
breathing it's just very ominous and creepy um but yeah i don't know if i like him making noises i think it kind of takes away from his um his boogeyman-ness it makes him yeah it 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 does not help to maintain the illusion (laughs) it It robs him of some of his mystique yes um i i am very comfortable with him making breathing noises like Mm -hmm. like panting or just like breathing heavily or whatever i think that actually adds a lot of tension i don't like him grunting and growling like i don't like like, i don't need any like frank welker shit or whatever (laughs) well i think maybe it makes more sense because this michael myers is more or less more grounded in reality like it's he's he's kind of supposed to be and because mom is there with the horse there seems to be a strange motivation so he's more killing with a different purpose before it was just kill to kill he was just a shark like you like you had said now he's got there's like a purpose behind it it's this version of michael myers like all of them suffer from this but like like i said people are not math so I can't fully criticize this. Like people have idiosyncrasies and you know character traits that are all over the place. But like this, Michael Myers vacillates back and forth between being highly emotional in what he's doing, and then sometimes not at all. Uh, it's, it just kind of depends, and it's never explained. So I, I'm not going to put too much thought into it. But I will say there is one moment uh, towards the, towards the end of this film. Uh, where the specter of his mom uh, tells him to have fun uh, mm. in reference to him going and killing someone. So, like, if if we're to understand that correctly, it's like may, like maybe this version of Michael Myers takes pleasure in, in what he does or something. I mean, that's, I think, the only way to read that, honestly, because that's a projection of his psyche. Yeah, I mean, th- th- it would be an interesting idea to have him kind of warp what his like things that his mother told him it's like sweetie you should just not worry and have fun but because of his upbringing because of the abuse it morphs into something else where it's like he's taking that pleasure he's doing what his mom said but he's focusing it on something that you're not supposed to have fun doing uh, you're not supposed to be doing it you're not supposed to be killing people um but i don't think we got enough with their relationship to that for that to really make sense but I get what you're saying. Well, put 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 a pin in that because <clears throat> when we get to to Lori uh, in treatment, like outside of the hospital, like mm-hmm. she's laying on the couch and whatnot, there was a detail that I didn't mention on the Halloween episode that I I think needs to be expanded okay. upon um, that okay. that applies to this movie. But anyway, we're still in the hospital though. Yeah, Octavia Spencer just eats all the shit in the world. Yeah. Uh, she gets stabbed about thirty times, um, uh, and Lori, it needs to be said, is hobbled very badly and the reason i use the phrase like giving the audience what they want um is because like folks at home if you haven't seen the original halloween 2 the majority of it takes place in a hospital the same night as the first halloween film so what we're doing here with this 20 minute prologue is giving you that movie the parts of that movie that maybe you wanted to see in this movie only to have it snatched away from you about 20 minutes in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's running away, and uh, some of the shots in the rain uh, when she gets outside are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Uh, really uh, awesomely lit. Very, very dead uh, hospital worker in the stairwell. The nurse very dead. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was artistic. Um, 
yeah, there's a, a dead lady in the stairwell. She gets outside. Uh, Mike grabs himself an axe, and I'm like, somebody's not getting a reservation at Dorcia now because that axe is going to come in handy here soon. Um, yeah, she gets to this uh, security shack, and uh, we get Tom uh, from uh, Office Space here. Um, it is piss-pouring rain, and he is carrying a coffee and two donuts, and these two donuts are not in a paper bag. I don't know what that's all about, Tom, but um, he You're finds... going to be putting sugary mush in your mouth at that point. Uh, and this man, this guy, it seems like a guy who wants to, you know, he wants to preserve his donuts. It's, it's, <laughs> oh, th- this is this is like his whole routine, just his whole day just got shat on so bad. Where he's like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> Dude, if I, like, that's my dream. Uh, that's That would be another, uh, like, a realistic uh, um, retirement dream job would be night security guard as an old man. Where, and, and not the kind of security guard where you actually have to like carry a gun, but just like basically a rent a cop with uh, with maybe a nightstick and a flashlight. Uh, but I have a terrible fear of a T eight hundred shooting my kneecaps out, so I got to find oh, the uh, put put a pin in that T eight hundred. By the way, oh yeah, <laughs> oh I didn't yeah, call we- I didn't call the T eight hundred kill. I called it uh, Cliff Booth. It's a Cliff Booth kill. Um, yeah, but put, keep keep a pin in in the Terminator in general because we do have some uh, cameos in here that are oh. most certainly lifted from Terminator Two. But nice. um, it's funny, Kyle. I can't I can't hear the phrase night security without thinking of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Two mm. because I'm pretty sure that was the first time I ever heard those words in sequence, like back to back. It's from the opening when the dudes with the the pantyhose caps uh, get mm-hmm. in a fight with Kino, uh, Ernie Reyes Jr. Uh, all I know from that movie, we tried watching it, and I had to do the thing that I have. What I do is if there's a music video made or a song made for a movie, I gotta watch it. So we had to watch Vanilla Ice's "Go Ninja, Go Ninja, Go." That's all I remember from watching that. Uh, I, I love like I love that he invents that song on the spot in in. In the canon of the Ninja Turtles universe, love it. Like he, he just they just shift the beat, and you can see his head bobbing. And he's like, "I know what to do. Dude, <laughs> like, dude. I have all these lyrics. I'm just gonna spit these lyrics improvised on the spot." <laughs> love him or hate him, the man had stage presence. You are drawn to like that scene is all I remember is that is him dancing up there in that song. But uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, Tom finds uh, Lori there, and uh, he's like, "You stay here. I'm gonna go." do something in my car and you know you're waiting for michael to come um he ends up coming back but uh right as he's about to come through the door he gets fucking axed uh right in the back yeah he uh he gets the scatman carruthers treatment um unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) not with the oh man i had that fucking jack torrance yell on here (laughs) (laughs) oh i got it i got here we go <laughs> it's so good. I love that. Scream. Such a primal scream. <laughs> uh, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. This. Uh. By the way, this. This is Buddy the Night Watchman, uh, yeah. played by Richard Real or Richard Riley. Um. Fantastic actor. You. You know him if you see him. Like. Jump. He's one of those guys. Jump to conclusions, Matt. <laughs> the jump to conclusions board. Yes. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen Office Space, watch it. Um, but yeah, I I really loved his brief 
couple of minutes of screen time in this movie because he is instantly likable very much like he comes across as genuinely warm and genuinely trying to help um and he does everything he can to be a help uh, to Lori, who's just completely you know, like out of her mind at this point she's just a, a just cr- crumpled on the floor shrieking yeah. um and yeah he tries to help her and then he gets an axe in the spine for his troubles um again not a particularly gory death in terms of like yeah. explicit content but the sound effects and the the body language of of the axe being stuck like lodged in his mm-hmm. spine is pretty tasty um and yeah michael uh, again portrayed by like honest to god like six foot nine or six ten or some shit tyler main uh just obliterates the shed with the axe yeah <laughs> like the, the the just the watchman's well, booth and, a uh, shining moment like he's he doesn't get his face in there but we're getting dangerously close to it yeah, and I really love the shots of him just like walking around the mm-hmm. the booth and like sizing it up, being like, "Yeah, I can take that." Oh, <laughs> it's like I think I can smash that. <laughs> um, and sure enough, he does. He just knocks down a wall, and then he lifts the axe over his head and swings it down on Lori just in time for her to wake up from a dream sequence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah at first, I was like, "Is this a dream sequence, or did this actually happen?" I'm like, "No, they haven't found his body, so it's just a dream." Um, I was fine with this, but unfortunately this is not our first dream sequence in the movie uh yeah kind of a kind of a bummer but go ahead i was fine with it it's it's just a i could see some people objecting to it for its length because it is no joke about 10 minutes of dream yeah um and i could see that being a problem for some people for me it didn't bother me much especially because it was all good um but yeah this is where the actual movie starts like 20 minutes in uh, so it's October 29th, a year later. Uh, we've got Lori. She's living with Daniel Harris and her dad. Uh, we had we saw that Daniel Harris had like uh, lacerations on her face, and you can see that she's been uh, stitched up. I mean, honestly, for what these gals went through, they are still doing pretty well. Like they seem to be functioning very well. I feel like I would need quite a bit more therapy. I'm guessing they're probably medicated. <laughs> I would I would have to assume. Um, cause yeah, they, they're like a, a nice little, they got a nice little family unit here. Be a shame if something happened to it. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Lori, Lori goes to her psych appointment and who's this actress? This is the one from Superman. This is Margot Kidder. There you go. Lois Lane herself. Um, yeah, this was, it was really neat seeing Margot Kidder in something in the late 2000s. Cause I know her career, um, didn't have a lot of staying power um through the you know the 80s 90s and 2000s and whatnot um but when she was on she was damn good um and i believe she passed away a while back but as i said she actually did have a birthday a couple days ago but yes she's playing her therapist um and basically they're just you know trying to do the work of Mm -hmm. of trying to address the problems that laurie is still enduring and that seems to be rob zombie like one of his priorities with this particular story is um, uh, another theme that would be very much at home in a 2022 horror film, uh, the exploration of trauma. Trauma, yeah. Uh, which I know is is almost a meme at this point, as it pretty much is the center of virtually every uh, horror film these days. Mm. Um, it is a thing that we all experience in, in some proportion or another, so, you know, I guess it, it's, it's appropriate that that would be something uh, that you would put in a horror film, but... Um, this was the part that I wanted to draw a little bit of attention to just for a second was, um, I didn't mention this on the Halloween review, 
because I think it didn't occur to me until I thought about it a few days or something. But um, I forgot to mention that uh, the Michael Myers in Rob Zombie's Halloween 2007, it's they never put a hat on it. Like, nothing in the script actually addresses this directly. But the way the movie is edited, it seems to be strongly suggested that being institutionalized exacerbated whatever problems were already there mm-hmm. because Michael becomes nonverbal after he's there for a while. Like he goes in there still verbal. And then there's that sequence in the 2007 film where he actually denies having done the killings of his family. Mm-hmm. Like he actually says, I didn't do those things. I don't remember that. And, and then there's that sequence that I, you know, I couldn't help but chuckle at just because of the timing of the edit going from a Christmas carol to a ch- to a child yelling "fuck you all." <laughs> um, I thought it was comical, but when I thought about it a little bit more, it's like, oh, be like being away from his mom is is making it worse. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 never strongly argued by the film, but it does seem to be suggested that maybe his time there is what truly made him into the biggest monster that he is um and it's during this sequence with margot kidder where laurie mentions that she misses her parents like she thinks about her parents who are you know gone Ah. and if we're drawing parallels between michael myers and laurie strode in this film they're both separated from their family like forcibly removed from their families and it doesn't seem to be something they can get past and Michael's case, it's never, again, it's never explicitly stated what his goals are in this film. Um, although I do think that, like, something along the lines of, like, like uniting the family or something seems to be what he's seeking. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. anyway, that was just something that I forgot to mention that I thought actually probably was kind of important. Yeah, I think it makes much more sense for this movie because, yeah, they, they don't have, like, yeah, Michael loses that warmth and he's institutionalized and he could have done a whole theme of just how like being institutionalized as a young person like like child or adolescence or even to young adulthood has a significant impact on how people are gonna turn out um yeah i didn't consider that but yeah the parallels are definitely there i, I can i can see where you're coming from uh, good insight uh i do like this this thing uh, this it's only been a year since this happened but the psychiatrist says, so Halloween's kind of a big trigger for you. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure Halloween's done after this. Like, there's no more Halloween for Laurie Strode. Um, <laughs> yes, and then let's talk about the turn that Loomis takes in this movie. Uh, this is great. Uh, you get Loomis uh, walking with who I assume is his agent. And they're getting ready for, uh, he's going to have a talk in a conference, in like a conference center at a hotel. Um, and he's complaining about how his photo, which I think was the right photo to go with, because uh, <laughs> well, oh, uh, oh, there's a oh, he looks like Carmen Sandiego basically. Like he's got the the big raincoat. Um, he's like, no, no, this is the wrong photo. Um, but yeah, he's basically like I think we mentioned it before. He's capitalizing on this whole whole thing, and he's you know cashing in on it. Oh yeah, no, he he's he's just exploiting the fuck out of Michael Myers at this point. And again, this this does seem to be one goal that Rob Zombie was trying to bring to the narrative of this film. I say one goal because it is a cluttered, messy film at times. Um, but one thing he does seem fairly dedicated to is exploring 
what going through the events of the first film would do to the people who have to you know carry on with like bearing that trauma and in loomis's case he's just like fuck you (laughs) it's like i lost like probably two marriages to trying to take care of that kid he tried to crush my fucking skull i'm gonna make all the money i can off of this piece of shit (laughs) oh yeah uh, then we get Lori. Uh, she's working at a used record VHS CD store, just multimedia. Uh, dude, so here's the thing. If I win the lottery, I think I'm going to buy Scarecrow Video. I'm just going to buy that, and then I will I will pay you a living wage to work there. We can just work at Scarecrow oh. Video. Because that I'm like, oh. she's going into this place. I'm like, I wish this existed. I wish you could make a living wage doing this. Just being in, like, uh Working at Scarecrow would be awesome. Uh, just having, well, just put up. They literally just always have like a classic movie up there, and you have the. Is it the biggest? It is the v- biggest physical media collection in the U.S. I believe it's the yeah the largest collection of physical media in this country. I went to the one in Portland. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. Movie Madness. Movie Madness. Uh, I like their setup. Uh, it's a. It's got a little bit of a newer smell to it. It's a. It's a bit more kempt. Uh, and I think they have a theater there as well, which is kind of cool. It's like a small screener. I think they have a theater, but more importantly, they have a museum mm-hmm. uh, yes. attached, like embedded within the yeah. rental store. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, definitely check both of those out, folks, if you're in the Pacific Northwest. Um, Absolutely. But we meet her two friends. She's got some new work friends there. They haven't been traumatized, so it's probably nice for her to be hanging out with people who are just unaffected. Like, they, they have their own lives. They don't really care about what's happened with her. Or at least one of them doesn't really care. The other one's slightly infested, but... Um, yeah, so... Michael video. Oh, yeah, Loomis's talk. And he has that... Uh, he's basically... Conf- Excuse me. He's showing a video of like an interview with Mike when he was a kid, and he's drumming up interest in his new book. Uh, and he starts taking questions, and it goes off the rails almost immediately. Where people are like, "Don't you feel guilty? Don't you feel like you're responsible?" And he's like, "Listen, I don't feel shit. All right, it's not my fault. It's it's Michael's fault. He's the one that did it." Um, but there's this. Uh, it reminded me. There's this interview of Paul Thomas Anderson. I think he's he's either like an like an Australian or a Kiwi. Uh, news like news host and she asks him a question and I thought he was like a dick when he was saying it but uh, she just asked a question he's like do you know the answer to that question and she's like yes and he's like well I'm not going to answer it like I'm like oh what kind of a dick but I kind of understand that here where he they're asking him questions that he is asked but he's been asked before and he's answered and he's like I've already answered that so it's not a dick move. If you're asking the person the same thing over and over, like somebody who's famous, it's like, I've answered it. You know the answer to it. I'm not answering it again. I don't think it's a dick move. But he, ha- but Loomis does have that moment here. Yeah, no, I, I kind of agree with you, especially, you know, in 2022, where it's just like, it's public record. Yeah. Like, do your research. <laughs> like, yeah. like honestly, if, if you're being paid to be a journalist, do your fucking research. Well, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the journalist who asked PTA the question, she's like, I know the answer, but my viewers don't. So it made a little bit more sense. And I think he went on to kind of answer the question after that. Uh, but yeah, here it's like everybody in this room knows the answer to all the questions that you're they're about to ask. They're just trying well, to. And and this, this is not only a fun moment, it's also mm-hmm. kind of like it's 
it's repetitive at some point but the the whole point of this is that this is loomis's journey like this is his narrative arc Mm -hmm. is that the the world keeps needling at him keeps poking him that it's like you you suck you really suck (laughs) like do better and he keeps denying it until you know the last minute when it's like okay fine i'll be i'll be the guy that everybody who paid a ticket price to go see this movie wants me to be it's like but i was having fun (laughs) being an asshole (laughs) (laughs) yes michael myers is dead then immediately we get to michael myers being alive uh as if we didn't already know (laughs) Um, i mean if you want to talk about comical edits it's it's good um d-e-a-d dad uh but i thought that these these were probably my favorite shots uh, in the movie was this walk going to the barn and we get a really cool shot of uh, obviously Sherry Moon Zombie's back uh, of her in the barn like kind of on this uh, I'm not sure it's kind of just kind of an outside like the barn doors open kind of thing <laughs> um, but I thought this looked really good but this is where it's just like okay where are we going with this now and he's basically just she sends him on a mission yeah, and he has little child version of himself to do his speaking for him because it's kind of an unwritten law. Michael Myers doesn't talk, although I will point out in uh, the I think it's the theatrical cut of this film or the director's cut. I forget which one. Uh, he does speak. Um, he says the word "die." <laughs> no, and, and also uh, there was a there was an attempt at one point in the in the 2007 film to have him say the word boo um Mm -hmm. to lori uh because that was her nickname when she was a baby um but both of those were nixed uh for the final films (laughs) uh yeah i mean you didn't need this whole this type of a family thread you could have just had him literally cut off richard brake's head and then just start walking back to haddonfield like just have him turn around and start walking um like his journey is yeah, his journey's going to keep going here uh, when you get a truck full of people who are driving through a field because he's walking through a field. I don't know if they're just doing some, some drinking and driving because you can do that in a field. That's totally fine. Uh, <laughs> no, you can't. Don't do that. <laughs> don't drink and drive. <laughs> um, but yeah, these uh, folks in the truck, I guess he's on their property. So they decide they're going to go confront this six foot nine monster. Uh, but it doesn't go their way. That's a running theme in this movie. It's like, who who on earth would pick a fight with this man? Like, who on earth would swing first? Like, everybody swings first at Michael in this movie. Get the drop no. on him. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> no, I mean, you're not going to sucker punch that. He's going to laugh at you. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if this, this just speaks to how the cops were in this part of Florida when this happened, but uh, a bunch of guys that I worked with um, were down in in florida for some training and they went out to a bar and something happened and it was a full-blown johnny dangerously bar brawl and it just got out of hand and my buddy who's a big dude he's like six two six three he used to play arena football he's a big guy uh very intimidating if you've never met him like he's kind of scary he's got big tribal tattoos all down his arms uh sweetest guy in the world but he came outside and the cops had shown up and he's like uh he's like going up to them and he's like hey you guys need to get and just immediately he had a nightstick on his throat and he was on the ground he like he didn't even didn't even knew it happened like it just it happened so quickly so there might be there might just be like 
a fear of like really big dudes. It's like we have to get, we got to make the first move to get people down. Uh, that could have been something completely different uh, because he's also biracial. So there may have been oh, a different component no. to that as well. But I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a whole, uh, that's a whole other thing. Um, I, you might, you there may actually. I wouldn't be surprised if there is some training uh, that points to that or something where it's like in a hysterical situation or something, maybe make the, sure the just, large yeah. individuals are attended to early. Get the paddy wagon. Get, yeah. if, I mean, it's like the juggernaut. If he gets any momentum, yeah. you can't stop him. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. But if he, you get him from a standstill position, you might have a chance. <laughs> yeah. He was also wild when he would get, when he would drink, he was one of those dudes that he could have one beer and he's just like he's he just gets super hyper and he's like, dude, you are huge. You cannot be getting hyper. You weigh two hundred and sixty pounds. You gotta stop. Um, yeah, I had a roommate in college that was not allowed to touch four loco. Oh, because uh, <laughs> that's like, a good wh- that's a good rule. <laughs> ho- holes would be put in walls very oh. unexpectedly. <laughs> dude, there's a reason why they took that original formula off the shelves. Like it was too yeah. much. Yeah, I had a buddy who yeah, GameCube controllers would get smashed. <laughs> holes would be punched in walls. It was a shit show. Back in our shotgunning days, you know what shotgunning is? Where you yes. put yeah put a hole. I, you know, um, not sure how versed you are in drinking culture, so. <laughs> Uh, my buddy, he went camping and he's like, I'm, I'm going to chug a four loco. And everyone's like, all right, man. Cause he was just good at like, he was good at chugging stuff like that. And he chugged a 20, it was like, I guess they're like 24 ounces. He chugged a 24 ounce four loco. And he's like, I blacked out. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I have no idea what happened. And they, I guess he just went to his tent and went to, just was done for the whole night that I'm like, wow, that seemed like a bad idea. Oof. <laughs> All right, bro. Um, but yeah, so go uh, yeah, ahead. these uh, these three people pull up to Michael Myers in a cornfield, mm-hmm. and it is very important to note Michael Myers is in uh, his hobo configuration at mm-hmm. this point. Um, for the vast majority of this film, Tyler Maine is not wearing the William Shatner mask. Um, he is still using the same mask from the first film, like it's it's made to be the same mask, but. For the most part, he's just walking around with a hoodie. Like he's got yeah. a big jacket with a hood, and he's got a big old mountain man beard. He looks like he stinks. Um, and yeah, these three people roll up on him because apparently he's a repeat offender of loitering on their cornfield. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's been hanging around. So Michael Myers has just been around people. Apparently, <laughs> like that's a, that's a weird thing to think that just Michael Myers casually hanging out around people. Well, it's been a year. So yeah, yeah, I guess he has just been kind of just moseying around. I didn't think. Yeah, about he, that. he's yeah. just kind of been living in the wilderness, I guess, and occasionally strolling into into more populated areas when he gets hungry, which we do see happen here in a few minutes. Um, but one of these fellas, uh, funny enough, a Batman Begins reunion mm-hmm. uh, is played by Mark Boone Jr., uh, who of course plays, I believe his name was Flass in uh, Batman Begins. He's the fella that gets hung upside down. Uh, by the Batman in that. And, uh, what, they don't like falafel? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have him and Richard Brake uh, in this film. Um, but yeah, they, they just take to beating on him uh, yeah. with like a tire iron and some other metal implements, like a baseball bat and whatnot. Uh, and then like the lady in the group, like she tries to like apologize uh, for <laughs> what would be probably be a, a, a fatal, if not near fatal beating that this person suffered just then. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Michael 
flips his mask on and springs into action. And uh, Kyle, what did you think of these kills? Uh, kind of disappointing. It starts off strong. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's his name? He gets an eye slice. I'm like, okay, that's a good way to start. Could have gone a little bit closer in for that, but I get the idea. Uh, then the other guy just gets stabbed in the stomach. Um, and then uh, then we get some power stabs, like some serious power stabs. Uh, antlers come into play. We get uh, what's his face on the antlers, and then homegirl just gets a regular stabby murder. I called it. And then we have the dog. Um, yeah. So tri- trigger warning to anybody yeah. out there who has issues with harm coming to animals. It is off screen, but you do get to see a corpse uh, mutilated to some extent. Uh, yes. So if that kind of thing upsets you, maybe skip at least this part of this movie. Give it 30, yeah, just skip 30 seconds, we'll make it quick. Uh, the only thing that I don't like, I don't like, the, obviously I don't like the dog being killed, but I don't like the tapping on the, the cage, him with the knife. Uh, it's a weird characterization, and I, I think it, it it grounds him too much. Like, it, he's again, he's, he's losing his, uh, his mystique. As it yeah, were. it's it's a little weirdly diabolical and playful, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, like he's playing with his food before he literally eats it, yeah. which doesn't seem very Michael Myers to me, um, because yeah, he's antagonizing this dog. Um, but uh, this is, I guess, supposed to be like a reference to the first film, uh, because we do have him like they do find a dog corpse that Loomis mentions out loud oh he he got hungry or something like that so maybe it's there for that reason it's a weird detail honestly it doesn't it has no reason to be here other than if some idiot out there was curious how does michael myers keep himself fed uh now you know yeah um but yeah then we get the sheriff with the girls uh and then we we go back cut with uh mike with the dog oh yeah yeah the 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 intercutting back and forth between Lori eating pizza with mm-hmm. with with her family and Myers Michael Myers eating the dog um, again th- this is the second time this happens in the film they do slip pretty bad where it, they stop doing this for the most part but this is this is like a more explicit example of this where she gets like queasy like she mm-hmm. gets sick and was it because she had like meat on her pizza? Because she she's like a strict vegetarian or something in this now. It might be. Uh, yeah, I could see. It seems to be implied that there's a connection or something. Like she gets queasy because her brother is eating a dog. And by the way, she doesn't know their their siblings at this point in the story. Um, but yeah, she goes upstairs and she pukes. Yeah, by the way, the way she done up this bathroom. Uh, would not be acceptable in my household uh, <laughs> like homeowner or not you are not doing that to that bathroom young lady uh, like What's all that? the decorations and the the spray uh, paint and the posters and the decorations and shit everywhere i mean he's letting i guess uh sheriff duraf is letting them work out their shit he's you know being a good dad i suppose good guardian he's, he's being a great dad he's yeah. being a great guardian it's just yeah. like mm, young lady that's taking it a bit too far it's like yep, you're a welcome guest in my home, but uh, wake the fuck up does not need to be emblazoned on the mirror in five different places. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to see spray paint on my walls. You're not going to be turned into no cat woman in this house. <laughs> to see you with a, a big knitted sweater and a cup of tea, getting onto somebody, getting onto the kid. Now we don't do that. Yeah. Uh uh uh. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, then we get this dream hallucination um, where we've got kid Mike with adult Mike and mom and i guess 
Kid Mike is showing the mom what's happening, and we get this weird pumpkin head dinner scene. Um, it's strange. I kind of like it just because of its oddness. It's just very odd that it's here. But uh, Lori's on the table, and it's like, here, here's Boo. Uh, and she, like, shrieks up, like, in, in this little scene. She, like, shrieks up. I'm like, oh, that got me kind of a jump. I'm like, okay. This was a, this was kind of a strange scene, but I just like it's just a weird like almost like an Alice in Wonderland kind of vibe. It makes not a lick of sense, but it looks fucking cool, and that's why it's here. Yeah, um, because the the makeup appliances, the the prosthetics they built for mm. this pumpkin headed person, and like the it's like a king with a grossly deformed bulbous head sitting at this large table. By the way, this is shot in black and white. The sequence, and there's like flower petals or like cherry blossoms falling down or like snow or something mm-hmm. very beautifully detailed it reminds me of like a visual k uh, which is like a a brand of like japanese music and music videos that it's like it's like a particularly like kind of gothic glam rock it reminds me of something that looks like that and rob zombie certainly has contributed i'm sure to his own music videos that have styles similar to this it almost has that uh, silent film era trip to the moon kind of look to it um i have no idea what it's supposed to mean um, but a lot of love and care went went into designing it and it looks pretty cool well i feel like it, because he's hallucinating he wants to kill boo so they can all be together it's going to be like almost like a murder suicide kind of thing um, that seems to be the case or there was also, it was kind of simmering for me. It's just like, is there like a thread where it's like, we've lost her because she was taking she was taken away from us? Like, she's no longer our boo. She's a different person. Now we have to, I have to kill her to make her a Myers again. Uh, I'm not Could really be. sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure what to make of this either, but it looks cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she wakes up from that dream and it's October 30th. Loomis is at the Meyer house with an with his agent and a reporter. Uh, I don't know who this this actress's name. She's a she's an uh, Australian actress. She's she pops up and stuff uh, around this time. I don't know what else she's doing now, but she's uh, she's easy on the eyes. So, uh, I mean, that's mostly but what her roles have been that I've seen her. It's just like yeah, she's very good looking. Um, we get Lori running the bath, and then we get this. This is where the movie is like this isn't making sense. This is very strange. Because Lori ends up kind of having this dream sequence where we, I'm like, what's happening now? Because we get that voyeur view from the first Halloween movie and the original 78 Halloween movie where we have somebody walking through the kitchen and grabbing a knife. And we see this is how Ronnie, uh, the stepfather or mother's boyfriend, died in the first movie where she's pat, or Danielle Harris is the one passed out in a chair. And you can see Lori's got that same mask that Michael had as a kid. And she does the whole duct tape thing, duct tapes her to the chair. And then I think as she slits her throat, she just kind of wakes up like, ah, what the fuck's happening? Um, it's very strange. It, but go ahead. It's a little louder than that. But um, it is kind of straight up a reenactment of mm-hmm. William Forsythe's death uh, in the 2007 film, just like Kyle had said, with different actors uh, standing in. Um, but if memory serves, is this when we get the the trippy sequence where they're screaming into the camera and she's in the transparent coffin, or is that later? I didn't catch that. Uh, I didn't catch that here, so that might be later, but I could be wrong. Ah. Um, 
so this so let's get to the strip club now was this <laughs> was this sherry moon zombie was this um the myers mom on the side of this strip club? so so yeah it seems like in addition to loomis we also have the strip club exploiting the oh. michael myers myth um by putting up a deceased uh former strippers image as an advertisement uh for you know patrons it's like hey michael myers's mom used to work here by the way she committed suicide this isn't ghoulish at all <laughs> I, I was i was gonna say it's like uh the cereal factory where jeffrey dahmer worked having his face spray painted on the, on the side uh, not quite the same one of the victims wherever one of the victims worked uh yeah, it's a, a very strange way to memorialize this woman. Um, but we get uh, yeah, it, I, I don't I don't think I would you know be in the mood. <laughs> like I I don't think I'd feel right like going to a place like oh hey like a lady a lady whose son went on to kill a bunch of people who later went on to kill herself used to work at this strip club. I think I want to. I think I want to go watch some stripping here. That's strange. Um, there is yeah. some... Have you passed the house on uh, I-5 where it was the Betty Page? There's the, Be- the yeah. Betty Page, but now it's got Divine from Pink Flamingos also painted on the side. Uh, pretty cool. I just had to, had to mention that. Uh, yeah, it's a fun landmark, folks. Yeah, it's a nice Seattle landmark. Uh, but Jeff Daniel Phillips is i guess security at this strip club we get daniel roebuck uh these guys are both from the monsters um and then we get misty the stripper and i feel bad for this actress uh she is playing i'm guessing a stripper here but she plays um a borderline person experiencing homelessness who's also a hooker uh in eastbound and down with danny mcbride and they make uh, the bartender uh, makes a, a joke at her. He's like, "What you need is a shit ton of Valtrex," which is a herpes joke. And they make the same joke here. They make a herpes joke. I'm like, I just feel bad. I mean, hopefully she's had some roles where she's not this character, but kind of shitty. But they're watching. Uh, I guess the club owner, his Halloween costume is up there on the on the on the screen, and uh, Jeff Daniel Phillips is just kind of shoehorning his way in there, just being annoying. He's doing a pretty good job. Yeah, he's he's kind of like in his own little world, just kind of talking to himself, just making mouth noises that nobody else in the room could be bothered to care about. And mm-hmm. he seems to be aware of it. <laughs> so he is promptly told to go take out the trash or whatever. Uh, and he's a pr- I think he's a pretty big dude. I think he's he's tall at the very least. Yeah, I think he's 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 big. Um and he ends up going outside of the dumpster and wouldn't you know it, Mike shows up. Uh probably pissed off that his mom's photo is on the side of the place. It would be more interesting if he didn't have like this quiet confrontation with him, if he just went straight up and just started murdering people, like you could see oh, it. Oh I, I can see it happening and that would be so cool. Where it's just like figure in the distance just power walking and just like your one sided conversation, he's not even slowing down, just like walks through you. Like fucking Arnold going to beat like going to kill those punks in the first Terminator, just walking with a purpose and dick swinging. Um, <laughs> uh, but this is, I, I don't want to see Michael Myers' face. I know that we do see his face in the first movie, and I think that's the only one from that era of Halloween movies where we see his face. 
Um, and I think you're right, yeah. And I don't need it. I never need to see his face. And you don't really see much of his face, but it's enough that I'm like, oh, it's Tyler Maine. I can tell <laughs> tell that it's him. Um, but he ends up, they end up getting into a scuffle here, and he just ends up sm- just kicking this dude's face in. Uh, it's pretty tasty. It's it's quite tasty. I mean, Michael Myers, especially in more recent years, seems to have developed a taste for putting heels in, in faces. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at you, David Gordon Green era of, of the Michael Myers films. But this is, it takes a few, but it makes it better. Um, like in, in Halloween 2018, it's just that one boosh mm-hmm. it's like a watermelon just skadoosh yeah <laughs> but but here it's like it takes you know you gotta you gotta get that initial crack in before it gets all the way through and that's like yeah. it's wonderful but but he gets a choke slam in by the way nice. <laughs> it's like tyler main making use of that uh wcw background um yeah jeff daniel phillips throws on him first <laughs> he tries to sucker punch the six foot nine tyler main and he just laughs oh. it off and uh Promptly choke slams him onto the gravel, and then jams his heel into this man's face. It's ah, it's tasty. I wish I, I, I unfortunately I can't get the soundbite for it uh, because another podcast uses it quite a bit. But I'll just say it. I'm an ass man. I wish we had it. <laughs> 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 wish I could get it. Um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, he he stomps on his face. Then he goes in to get the club owner. Uh, and uh, Misty, and this club owner gets wrecked, and we get ourselves a nice little compound fracture on this guy, and he's selling it too. I think he does a pretty good job of selling it because he's very much disoriented. He's gotten his face smashed up, bones are st- bones are sticking out of his flesh, which is always disgusting. Um, but then Mike gets a hold of Misty, who's running around naked. This is a gotta be naked in this franchise it's gotta happen i don't think the david gordon green movies have any nudity do they i don't recall i don't recall if it's there it's very little and it's probably only in the 2018 one because i remember kills pretty well and i just watched ends Um, Mm, but maybe not those kids are pretty young the first one they're like they're still in high school so it's like we're not we're not doing that here guys go go watch fucking euphoria if you (laughs) you want to get down on that um yeah the the 2000s era of mainstream horror movies were very boob centric um can can confirm like i think i i know for certain final destination had quite a lot of boobs pretty sure saw had some boobs in its later iterations as well um and rob zombie's entire filmography is just boob laden as far as i understand (laughs) yeah uh i was gonna say uh the but the friday the friday the 13th franchise is boob it's boobtastic king king of the boobs yeah boobtacular boobtacular you cannot have a friday the 13th wall-to-wall boob overflowing out the door yes it is a mountain of boobs uh (laughs) but yeah so uh mike gets a hold of misty and he cliff booths her just face smash i thought you were gonna say this was the t-1000 where he's like just just banging arnold's head uh uh with the thing but well i mean she doesn't like morph and and shift herself facing the opposite direction or anything that would be pretty cool but i mean you know maybe that's a power you get if you reach you know the upper echelons of stripper (laughs) stripper training (laughs) it's a higher tier this is not yeah she's not the higher tier um but yeah she doesn't make it and uh it's october 31st and 
we get Lori walking around downtown, and she looks like um, she looks like a white zombie era Rob Zombie here with her hair. And- yeah, uh, she's uh, she's got her hat, her little sock hat to the side, um, and she, her her hair's not dreaded. But sometimes it kind of looks like it is. It's kind of it's kind of weird. Well, I did say that Rob Zombie had pretty much absolute creative control over this film, and it extends to a lot of elements of it. I'm looking at you, soundtrack. I'm looking at you, antiquated television set in hospital rooms. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at you, production design of Lori's place of work. That's a grossly over-designed environment that you know it. It's cool looking, but it's like, wow, Rob! Like you, you put a lot of time into basically making a home, a home away from home for yourself, <laughs> like on the set, and also the wardrobe. Like yeah. a, a lot of the cast is just like Rob Zombie. Just seems like he probably had a hand. Like he was looking over the designs very intently. Yeah. He's like, yeah, how about you make this one look more like me? <laughs> it's like, yeah, how about you have an Alice Cooper poster in her bathroom? <laughs> we play some frank zappa or some shit (laughs) (laughs) um uh, frank zappa is one of those guys i'm not into his music but he's one of those guys that just watches interviews just just watches it he's a fascinating guy uh not crazy about his music but check out his interviews uh so yeah uh we get loomis he's doing a book signing and we get a guy that netflix is really writing for these days the serial killer fanboy uh, this guy is obnoxious and a uh, bit of a douche. He's like a serial killer fanatic. They're out there, um, and they are the lead singers of Corn. Um, but yeah, he's like on the loose. He's like, Michael's so cool, man. He's just like such a cool killer. He's like, okay, that's okay. Let's get going. Go on, go on, go on. And then this guy who do- <laughs> who who just doesn't really seem like he fits in with this crowd. I mean, he's got no piercings, and he just looks like I think. Looks like he's got like a coffee and a book, and he just saunters up to the uh, up to the table. And he uh, Loomis goes to sign the book, and a photograph comes out. He's like, "Oh, do you want me to sign this?" And he's like, "No, uh, but take a look at that." And I'm like, "Oh shit, it's Linda's dad." And he's like, "Yeah, that's that's my daughter." Um, and they have like this confrontation where he's just like, obviously he's calling him out. He's like, "Dude, you're just trying to capitalize on this. What about my daughter?" Uh, and then they took a turn I wasn't ready for. Uh, he pulls out a gun. <laughs> He's going to shoot him. Um, would have been an interesting thing if he actually popped a shot off, but uh, now they end up subduing him before it's too late. Yeah, they subdue him. By the way, this actor looks like the politician John Boehner a little bit. Um, but uh, John Boner, if you will. Um they do have they abruptly cut away from this and that's like loomis in in the limo with his agent or whatever um and they do mention that the gun wasn't loaded um which is an odd (laughs) detail to include yeah right uh well at least pistol whip him like at least make it worth worth your time or the other part of it is like why didn't you lead with that yeah like like the that was very theatrical like showing him the photo talking with him back and forth a little bit it's like there's an order of operations here sir just just get to the point (laughs) 
Just give him a few good Leo to the face. Shut the fuck up! <laughs> With the Not gun. even. Just like show him the photo, confirm he recognizes who it is. Boom. Done. Nice. Move on. Yeah, pretty, pretty badass. But yeah, you can't kill this kid. You cannot kill Michael Mc, uh, Malcolm McDowell just yet. Um, Apparently not, because Michael Myers tried and failed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Lori ends up having a meltdown in her car. She sees the book uh, that Loomis has written and very, very tasteless that he's in the town promoting the book. Um, yeah, not doesn't seem okay, but she's having a meltdown. And I don't know if we know why just yet, but we will find out when she goes to visit her no, work we, friends. We, we know why. There's a lot happens here, nothing we need to go over in detail. But basically, we're setting up a, the her discovering that she's Michael Myers' sister. Mm. Because, remember, she still doesn't know. Um, because she never came to understand that by the end of that first film. Brad Dourif, on the other hand, is responsible for her being, you know, taken away from the Myers household and whatnot. Um, so he is aware because he's aware of the book tour and he sees Loomis on TV and stuff. And he's actually trying to get a hold of Lori and like intercept her finding out on her own so he can tell her. Um, but it, he doesn't get to her in time. And I, and I need to say, uh, having the uh, the countdown leading up to Halloween Day um, it doesn't do this the sequence any favors because this, this Lori gal is a fast fucking reader <laughs> because she like in the span of a couple hours or something finds the book, reads the, and brings the book to her car and reads enough of the book to the point that she gets to the passage where she discovers that Loomis wrote about her being Michael Myers' sister. Well, I think she did what most people do with true crime books, is if there's photographs, if there's if there's photos in the middle of the book, go straight to the photos, because that's what she points ah. out. She goes straight to the photos. Uh, you're right. She probably didn't read any of it. No, she didn't read it. Uh, yeah, she's not going to read that book all the way through. Um <laughs> So that's, that's a display piece. Yeah. That's that's a to show my interests piece. That's a coffee table book. Yeah. Uh, so Lori goes back. She talks to Daniel Harris. I didn't pay attention to what they were saying. Uh, I just know that she she's she t- mad. She's mad. Yeah. Because she's like, I'm Michael Myers' sister. Blah. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> now she's getting a little frantic. So she ends up taking off. Uh, Brad Dourif. Uh, he, something happened, and now he's sending cops. He's like, you need to go be with my daughter. Maybe he's trying to get Lori. I'm not entirely sure why he sends the cop to his house, but he sends a cop there for protection. Hope nothing bad happens to him. Uh, she And then Lori goes to her work friend's house, and uh, they kind of don't give a shit about what's wrong with her, which is kind of weird. Yeah, the, this whole trio of gals was giving me flashbacks to, uh, to working at a thrift store. Because um, I, I, I worked around people that reminded me of these people. And, like, the drama that came out of that place was unbelievable. The, <laughs> it was a very incestuous workplace where it's like, everybody's fucking everybody. It was kind of like Grey's Anatomy, where it's mm-hmm. like, if you would just stop fucking each other you would be upset all the time yeah bring all that shit to your place of work (laughs) and i'd be able to get some things done i've worked in a couple places like that yeah uh yeah yeah so this reminded me of that where it's like i'm your co-worker (laughs) i don't care (laughs) i don't want you to show up at my doorstep drunk and yelling about you're the the sister of a serial killer yeah 
Go tell that to somebody who cares. <laughs> like your fucking family. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But her, her family's dead. <laughs> she can't. They're work friends. They're not even friends as far as I could tell. They just work together. That doesn't mean we're actually friends. Do you know how long it was, folks at home, before I started talking to Kyle socially? That's true. It was a couple of years because I had to vet him. I was like, this guy better not be a psycho because I don't want to let no psychos into my social life. We we stopped working together, too. That probably helps. Like, okay, now I don't have to see him every day. It's like, all right, I think we can exactly. we can make this work now. <laughs> um, yeah. Boundaries, god damn it. Well, one of them is supportive and is like, hey, you better, like, take it easy. Because, like, that's a lot. Like, that's a lot, a lot. You should probably, like, take it easy and not, like, go out and party and stuff. And then the other one shows up and she's like, let's go party. And let's she's like, party. yeah, we should totally go party. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so she tells these girls that she works with, like, "Hey, I'm Michael Myers' sister." Um, and then we get uh, we get Weird Al Yankovic uh, being interviewed by Chris Hardwick. You might remember from the House of a Thousand Corpses episode. Um, yeah, see, he looks much different here, doesn't he? He does. He has lost a lot of weight. Uh, he's more clean shaven, not a hundred percent clean shaven, but. Yeah, this was the fella who was in House of a Thousand Corpses that I Not to say Dad. Something yeah. about something about his 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 name and his face. I was like, I feel like I should know who this is, but I honest to God do not. But like Kyle showed me some of his other works and stuff, and it's like, oh, okay, he's 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 a big deal. And yeah. apparently, if I had to guess, friendly with Rob Zombie. Yeah, uh, he seems like a really nice guy. Uh, you should check out uh, his. Uh, At Midnight was a a show on Comedy Central that aired for a while. It was pretty funny. Um, But if you you haven't listened to it, folks, check out uh, Chris Hardwick's album, his comedy album, Fun Comfortable. I do believe I sent Trevor a track from that. uh, that. (laughs) It's really funny. Uh, But yeah, check out that. Um, But yeah, Weird Al Yankovic um, is here, and obviously Malcolm McDowell. Loomis is being interviewed on the TV show. Um, and then uh, the friends get Lori drunk because she's definitely loosened up. Um, folks, alcohol is a depressant. Uh, so if you need to loosen up, that's one thing. If you've gone through a traumatic experience, uh, maybe alcohol is not the way to go. Uh <laughs> But she gets wild, and she's just like, I want to go out and party. The one friend's like, let's fucking do it. The other one's just like, I'm invested now, so I think this is probably not a good idea. Um, but yeah. Yeah, folks at home, uh, calling back to, again, my time working at a thrift store. I had <laughs> many a situation with a gal pal start exactly like this, only to end up with people um, with their face buried in their palms with me handing them glasses of water after they had just uh you know spewed uh usually on a carpet sometimes on a staircase um yeah point is if that's the direction your evening is trending divert (laughs) like like, pivot (laughs) do not continue down that path it will not end happy for you uh yeah so this halloween Halloween party and costumes they have. Master, dinner is prepared! 
she is dressed up as Magenta from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, and then the other two characters, I've literally just been calling them Columbia and Frankenfurter because I didn't catch their names. It doesn't matter what their names are. Uh, great makeup. Like they, he did, they did a really good job of this makeup, uh, making them look like it. I wonder if there's something about Magenta's character because he definitely had uh, that actress in uh, Lords of Salem. And I think it's I can't remember something Quinn, um, yeah. So the character Magenta, she's supposed to be Frankenfurter's servant, but she's also kind of like Third Rock from the Sun. We're all aliens, <laughs> kind of living together, taking on roles basically. And then she ends up killing Frank. Like they end up killing Frankenfurter at the end. I didn't know if there's a reason why he chose this, or if it's just it make he just wants to like. 70s Rocky Horror Picture Show, love it. So I'm just gonna have them dressed up, but I don't know. I uh, I mean, if I had to guess, he might have like a particular affinity for the character Magenta, or maybe more specifically the actress who portrayed her, mm-hmm. um, Patricia Quinn by the name. Patricia. By the way, is the name of the actress. I had to look that one up. I didn't yeah. actually know, um, but yeah, uh, stellar job with with the the makeup and the costuming. Uh, Very much. In particular, the the magenta one is like spot, spot on because spot on. Yeah, like Scout Taylor Compton doesn't look anything like her, but the way they shaded the makeup and the selection of the wig and the the costume head to toe is fantastic. Trevor, I'm going to challenge you to do something this year because I know it can be done. I got my tickets. Uh, I am going to go. Hopefully, Steph is back. We are going to go see Rocky Horror Picture Show in the theater. Uh, there's a theater nearby that's going to be showing it on uh, October 29th. I challenge you to go out and see that. Uh, I feel like the girlfriend, she likes songs and singing. I feel like it'd be fun for her. I'm sure she's seen it. She has to have seen it. Yeah, she saw it long before I did. Yeah. Uh, was, she a the- was she a theater gal? Uh, not so much theater, but she's a trained singer, yeah. for sure. I knew that, so I didn't know if she was also a theater person. Because I'm like, if you were in a theater in high school, you've seen Rocky Horror Picture Show. There's no way you made it out. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you should try. You should find it. Uh, the t- I mean, tickets here were super cheap. So I mean, it's, it's a movie. It's, yeah, so you should definitely look into it. Um, probably be a lot of fun. You don't have to dress up. I'm not going to. Um, no, I'm not doing that shit. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I had a lot of fun when I saw it in the theater, and it should be a lot of fun again. But, uh, yeah, so they're going to this bitchin', bitchin' party, man. Like, it, this is awesome. Uh, I will say that we had to watch fucking Halloween Town 2. Uh, those movies are weird. But they have this gym, they're having this, uh, Halloween party in a gymnasium. Like, just a regular, like, high school gymnasium. The paper, like the tissue paper streamers, the budget that they had for that, through the roof. It was incredible what they did to make this look like a Halloween party. I appreciate that kind of commitment. Having said that, this Halloween party looks awesome. This really does look incredible. Um, by the way, the budget of this film is $15 million, which is approximately 10 times that of most rob zombie ventures <laughs> yes <laughs> but e- but equal to uh 2007 equal to his previous halloween film but um i want to say and this is just a guess because i don't actually know i want to say they maybe just put on a concert and filmed it possible because there's a particular quality to the cinematography in the sequence that has a very intentional 
verite kind of like w- zooms used all willy nilly. It it looks like a concert film, like like something you'd see like a, a Rolling Stones concert filmed like, or mm-hmm. or like, um, was it was it Stop Making Sense the the Talking Heads concert video? Oh gosh, concert. Concert films have a particular look to them because the the camera angles are usually necessitated by the construction of the stage um, and all the elements like the lighting and whatnot. And it looks like maybe Rob Zombie just had a concert and just fucking filmed it because this looks pretty fucking incredible. This is some Coppola shit or something. Yeah, I mean, but it makes sense for it to have this kind, like these kinds of shots, because she's supposed to be drunk and like letting loose and disassociating from what's happening in her life. Yeah, and there's no important dialogue being said; it's just no. all energy, she, and it, it it's really well put together. She is getting drunk like it's the end of the world, like <laughs> she is getting hammered drunk, and uh, Columbia is trying to like like hey do, do, do. like don't don't drink those, but she doesn't get to her quick enough. Um, yeah, so Frankenfurter just, I thought that these two girls were together, uh, just because of their chemistry. I thought that they were a couple, but that's not the case. Um, that was, that was nope. my misunderstanding. Um, yeah, Frankenfurter just gets a dude and she's like, let's go bang in your van, which is, I don't think that happens very often, uh, these days, but hey, it's a movie. Um, but obviously these two are not going to make it and their deaths aren't really spectacular, uh, dude goes outside to pee, he gets stabbed, and then I think he just chokes, uh, he chokes Frankenfurter. That's, I think that's basically it. Yeah, he smashes through the rear window of the van, and he chokes her with one hand. Um, and then they do that, that shitty, like, kind of strobe slow motion. Um, they, it's kind of neat, they drop the sound out so all you can hear is her, her asphyxiating and him breathing heavily. Um, but yeah, really lame deaths, and it's a shame too because it's a really great setup. It's a classic setup, and and you're absolutely right. I don't think this scenario probably plays out very often these days. But the man does have an affinity for the 1970s, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if he was just like, well, somebody's got to get killed in a panel van. I mean, obviously someone i nobody died <laughs> in a panel van in the first movie there was a van but nobody died in it so yeah i get it you know what that first movie was missing a panel van yeah uh he missed an opportunity to have them smoking weed in the back but that's okay um so now Lori is seeing now she's seeing uh mom and little mike i believe she's starting to hallucinate them so this is where the movie really starts to get wobbly for me. It's like, uh, okay. Yeah. Now we're... This, this is a turning point where it's like, you're starting to lose me, Rob. Yeah. Um, but Mike... I did like... I really did like the shot when she's hallucinating and she sees Sherry Moon. And uh, they have... It, it's, two, it's a two shot. So we have Sherry Moon with like a white light projected behind her. And she's all clad in white, and she's speaking to to Lori. And then the reverse angle is Lori standing in front of a projection screen. Mm-hmm. It, like she's she's in Dream World. She's not at the concert venue anymore, at least spiritually. So it's just like a it's like a television projection screen behind her. And then Michael just appears behind her and grabs her for a second. I thought that was really trippy in the good way like it made it made me think of like like a creep show or like a giallo film or something like it was very 
it was very i don't know ethereal in how it was presented it was not meant to be realistic in any way but i thought it was pretty effective it's just like a a shot basically okay um yeah, Mike makes his way to Daniel Harris's house. Um, he kills the cop out front. Again, nothing spectacular here with him. And then poor Daniel Harris gets terrorized by this guy again. It, I'm kind of glad that this is like this is played out this way because in the first one we see her get brutal. Like hers is probably the most uncomfortable in that film. And I'm like, he's gonna kill her again. And sure enough, she's about to get a shower, and he just is just standing there in the bathroom. Fortunately, we don't see her get terrorized again. You hear it, and you can kind of like leave it up to the imagination. Um, but Lori ends up coming back with uh, Columbia, and the amount of blood, like the place is just trashed. But the amount of blood <laughs> that is in the bathroom with her, it's like... I don't think she has long, dude. I think she's lost about a liter, maybe a couple liters. Like, it's quite a bit. Um, but we unfortunately we have poor naked Danielle Harris just covered in blood again. It's like, goddamn, dude. And he still didn't kill her. <laughs> she dies in a few seconds, but yeah, he didn't get it done quickly. Um, he he. Uh, by the way, she's probably feeling woozy here. Yes. Um, <laughs> But uh, it's interesting the way they edit this sequence because, like Kyle said, it's we cut away from it. Like he he moves towards her, and then we hear some bad stuff happen. And then as Laurie is making her way through the house, they keep slipping in these inserts of just like flashes of what happened. Um, so we never actually get to see it in detail. Um, but yeah, she is just a bloody fucking mess on the bathroom floor. Again, naked like last time. Or she was topless last time. But um, yeah, Daniel Harris gets put through the fucking ringer in these movies. <laughs> Jesus. So um, so there's definitely like, there's like a mind meld. Like for some reason, something's going on with Lori and Michael. Um, but Daniel Harris specifically, her character, now was she related to the Myers? in halloween four and five i think she's like his niece okay if i remember right so uh spoiler for the halloween ends uh there does seem to be like a weird like almost like a genetic component to like the michael myers franchise it was planted there it's like kind of a nature versus nurture it's like it it's kind of nature like there's just maybe something wrong with this family and it's kind of brought up here, and it comes up in Halloween Ends as well. Uh, so I wonder if this is just his interpretation of his, like, oh, that was a theme in one of those movies. I'm going to kind of explore it here. I mean, are you with me here? Kind of get where I'm making the connection. No, I, I yeah. get where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought I had uh, this time around with Daniel Harris specifically. Cause I'm like, oh, that's right. She's She ends up killing Homegirl in that fifth one. Um yeah yeah um but yeah she's a bloody mess and then i think they're trying to call the cops and uh what, what's the rocky horror character name columbia columbia she she gets yanked up into the doorway as yeah. she's trying to step out onto the porch to call the cops um and her death is quick and unremarkable mm-hmm. it's unfortunate because like you, you see like you would think like she's going to be set up for something really bad because she's like 
been a good person in a Rob Zombie movie. Yeah. <laughs> like she's been like one of the few people who's been all around kind to Lori and like looking out for her. But no, it's just like she gets thrown on a table and gets stabbed. Yeah. Moving on. I'm afraid you'll have to die. <laughs> <laughs> is that John Glover? Oh, Batman, it is. Robin? Very much. Oh, uh, cinema's greatest mad scientist. Uh, if only for two or three scenes, it was worth every minute. <laughs> Um, he's wonderful wonderful uh so i had to do other things so i was kind of in and out of the movie moving forward um you're gonna have to take the reins here uh, as best as you can oh you don't want to do that you don't want to do that <laughs> so folks at home full disclosure i was multitasking while as was i was I. attempting to watch this film i was multitasking for this last this last section so damn so i was doing it for the entire film Eesh. so i i was physically incapable of taking notes uh, and whatever viewing i did was through the corner of my eye while attempting to type and do things that i get paid to do <laughs> i.e not this podcast yeah. <laughs> yeah this is a little a little less professional on our end uh i don't think i've ever seen the end of a rob zombie halloween movie i've never i have no idea how these movies <laughs> end because i stopped watching the end to get to the end um so I do remember, like, Lori's, I guess, running away, Michael's chasing. Um, I think the important yeah, thing... So yeah, so we... I, I, I remember this. So Lori takes off running, because Michael's after her. And um, Brad Dourif, Sheriff Dourif, uh, roll, he comes back to his house because they got it, enough of the 911 call that he becomes aware of it. So he goes home, and uh, he happens upon his dead daughter... And uh, this is where I said put a pin in uh, Terminator 2, Kyle, um, because we do have a cameo from it, you know, a, not a household name or anything, but this is Mark Christopher Lawrence, who plays one of the orderlies uh, in Terminator 2. Uh, he's the guy that runs into the, the, the door when she breaks the key, and he makes that <laughs> noise. Well, okay, so there was mustache guy, handsome guy, chubby guy... Which one was he was he? the chubby guy. Chubby guy, okay. Yeah. Chubby guy without the glasses. Okay. <laughs> I remember him. He now. gets thrown into the uh, into the fenced window uh, for his troubles. Um, but yeah, uh, he plays one of the other cops here, and Brad Dourif does some of that acting shit when mm. he has his his a uh, reaction to his daughter's death here. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he is an incredible actor. Um, I mean, he was Oscar nominated at one point. Um, I think it was for one flew over the cuckoo's nest. That might have been Mississippi Burning, but could be right. Yeah, because I mean th- nobody else has much it, like Christopher Lloyd, Danny DeVito. I think I think Danny DeVito's in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and yeah, Brad. Yes. Um They didn't. I don't think they had enough screen time. I'm, I'm assuming it's from Mississippi Burning, but I I could be wrong. Well, either way, he is a incredible actor, and he gets he finally gets to do some yelling mm-hmm. uh, in these in these Halloween films, which is what we all love him for. Um, but on top of that, he he's a nice guy in these movies. Like, the scenes with him, like, eating pizza. It was Best Supporting Actor for One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. Interesting. I wouldn't think it would be him. Yeah, I mean, you don't think of him when you think of that movie. No. Because it's such a, you know, singular performance from Jack Nicholson for the most part. But yeah. like, And it also is a really... It's a really big supporting cast of like name actors that went on to have wonderful careers. I think Nurse Ratched 
uh, I think she may have, that actress may have gotten an Oscar that year. I wouldn't doubt that. She was fantastic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry. Keep going. <laughs> uh, so if memory serves, Lori is running and we're cross-cutting back and forth between uh, Brad Dourif, like, break simultaneously breaking down and, like, picking himself back up to go, you know, seek revenge because his daughter actually is dead this time. In the first one, she was only badly burned, being injured. Gosh. <laughs> um, and uh, Lori, like gets somebody to pull over because she gets to a road and she's like she flags down just like a passerby and they they very similar uh to buddy earlier in the film the security guard from her dream which by the way uh she does have a teddy bear named buddy uh, that she sleeps with uh in like the middle portions of the movie so i think I, i think like that's a it's it's done in reverse but basically the the security guard being named buddy seems to be like a projection of like a guardian or something in her own subconscious kind of neat done out like done backwards it would be probably more satisfying as the viewer to learn about the bear before you saw the security guard but you know then it then it takes away the surprise factor of it all being a dream um anyway this uh this uh good samaritan uh eats shit uh michael jumps him from behind and like throws him through the windshield um and then effortlessly picks up the car and rolls it uh, off the road and down a hill um with laurie still in it uh sorry real quick louise fletcher who played nurse ratchet did win an oscar best actress for that role i didn't realize she died a month ago she just passed away holy shit i had no clue wow yeah that's unfortunate well she was very talented actress she was pushing 90 so she 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 made it quite a ways but yeah um yeah uh, uh this is a weird callback folks at home that i'm sure none of you care about but uh <laughs> olivia de Havilland, i think um the leading lady from captain blood i believe mm-hmm. um, she still Kyle had said <laughs> no she she did recently pass away i believe okay uh, but it was very recent um and she got way up there in years and kyle has a theory about old biddies <laughs> they either die at 60 or they live to see nearly 100 and betty white nearly got to 100 yeah and olivia de Havilland, the same deal oh uh, she, she was quite she, yep. she was over 100 yeah she she definitely she was yeah. 104 or 103 yeah yeah, Kyle called it. Like he, he, I remember. I seem to remember Kyle pointing that out when we were doing the Captain Blood episode, where he was like, "I'm pretty sure this lady's still alive." Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, and sure yeah. enough, no, she was. Uh, uh, she was 104 when she passed away. Whew. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, good for her. Um, anyway, Michael yeah. flips the car, uh, and then he takes the unconscious Lori uh, to just like a shed, dude. This isn't. This wasn't planned because he he just like he stalked her through the woods like off of the the sheriff's estate and whatnot. This isn't the same shed from the beginning of the movie. This is just a shed that he just happened upon, um, and he drops her off there. And the hallucinations just hit her like a truck, um, because Sherry Moon is just a constant presence throughout the remainder of the film now, as is Baby Michael Myers, who she can now see and interact with. Because baby Michael Myers is now restraining her at at some point in the film. Um, but Sherry Moon, with Lori on her knees in front of her, demands that she, like, call her mommy? Okay, this <laughs> sounds like... Corn dogs. This sounds really <laughs> stupid. 
Uh. <laughs> yeah, she she demands that she call her mommy, and she gives in. She starts saying, "Hey, like uh, you're my mommy, you're my mommy. Please don't, mommy. I don't know what don't is in reference to because Sherry Moon's intentions have never been made clear." Um, but yeah, she gives in. She starts calling this ghost lady her mommy. Uh, and at, I think it's at this point that Brad Dourif shows up and they surround the place with a bunch of cop cars and guns. And they even have a fucking chopper. Uh, and Loomis pulls a Wonder Woman. Where he's getting... He's, <laughs> he pulls a Wonder Woman because he's getting boozy. He's not on a plane or anything, but he's just kind of like boozing it up in his hotel room. And then he has the news on. And he's like, holy shit! <laughs> and he sees the situation going down. And he magically teleports to that shed off in the woods. Because yeah. he arrives on the scene instantaneously. <laughs> Damn. I mean, we do mess with... Uh, he does mess with timing a little bit. Like, the way he splices things to, splices things together in this movie. So, maybe he could have put that in that scene just like... Just a couple couple of frames earlier just to kind of give us a little bit of a time for like make it make more sense uh but you are yeah, right i did some, know- some yeah. work some work needed to be done here uh, yeah. to to maneuver loomis into the correct position because having him with wine glass in hand comfortable in his hotel room and seeing a chopper overhead with guns pointed at, at the shed it's like no man whatever is going to go down there is going to go down pretty fucking quick <laughs> like like you're not going to be able to get there wherever you are yeah. um i'm guessing we're about to have a shootout uh well it depends on what cut of the film actually uh, yeah, so, i was supposed to be watching um, i don't know i watched the peacock version so did i okay. <laughs> <laughs> um so the version on peacock folks at home I, I apologize if I don't label these correctly, but there are two versions of the film, and I believe the Peacock version is the theatrical cut, um, whereas they're very similar to Halloween 2007, there is a Rob Zombie director's cut, which is his preferred cut uh, in both cases, as far as I know. Um, so in the theatrical cut, which Kyle and I both watched... Um, Loomis arrives on the scene. Like I said, he teleports to the shed and uh, he tries to negotiate with Brad Dourif and he's like, I need to get in there. I, I, I can draw him out. And then Brad Dourif says, no, fuck you. Like, like you're out of your mind. I'm not going to let you help. You fucked everything up before. You're going to fuck it up again. Um, but Loomis jumps. He jumps the line and he just like runs up there and, and he makes it known that he's trying to make amends like he he this is his his moment of redemption where he's like i know i fucked up i'm trying to fix it i gotta go put flowers in some guy's ass (laughs) Um, (laughs) so he goes in the shed and uh lori is like writhing on the ground shrieking and by the way like i'm not joking like what i said still stands like at the beginning of this review um this actress scout taylor compton is shrieking mm-hmm. and and she, she like, like i hate to say it but she's making like anime noises throughout this entire movie like there's there's a uh, a school of thought uh, like a, a a general critique of uh japanese animation voice acting that is like just incidental noises are like just like monosyllabic utterances are are too widespread yeah just, uh, oh, uh, uh, uh. he said shut your holes 
<laughs> exactly. She's doing that shit throughout this entire movie. Just <laughs> it's just that throughout like eighty percent of the movie. It's like she's in the recording booth of a Japanese animation project or something like she's doing voice acting <laughs> but here she's just like bouncing off she's like rolling around on the ground shrieking and Loomis is like what the fuck are you doing there's nobody there <laughs> at some point he sounds like an impatient father just like get up, get up. <laughs> like, because she thinks she feels or believes that young Michael Myers is holding her down so she's physically incapable of getting to her feet. At least she believes so. And from Loomis's perspective, it's just some girl in a slutty Halloween costume rolling around on the floor. <laughs> and he's like, what the fuck is your problem? Everyone in this room is now dumber. Yeah, that's... Uh... Correct. <laughs> I award you no points. Yeah. That's what Loomis would say. No Man. points for that girl. <laughs> um, but of course, Michael has to step to him. And uh, he slashes the fuck out of his face. Nice. Um, and we don't see a whole lot of detail, but what details we do see, uh, he gets like a borderline like Glasgow grin on him. Oh. Uh, his scalp is slashed open as well. Uh, he gets fucked up. Um, and it's pretty gnarly. Nice. Um, and then we get this sloppily ins- inserted like CGI assisted sniper scope shot, like a night vision scope of, I think it's Brad Dourif, shooting michael myers with a sniper rifle through a window and then michael stumbles backwards and falls onto like some sort of farm equipment that impales him in multiple places so he's stuck on the ground with lots of holes in him and he's completely incapacitated shoot it shoot it tell them to shoot it what's the i mean that's what brad durf was saying from moment one yeah i was trying to remember there's a movie where somebody ends up sitting on a chainsaw and it's smoke and aces uh, oh. yeah. It all comes back to Smoke and Aces, it man. It all comes back. <laughs> like, everything comes back to Smoke and Aces. Uh, <laughs> that fucking movie. Gosh, that fucking movie. Um, yeah. Sorry, I derailed you there. Keep going, please. Oh, well, anyway, Laurie, like, runs up to Michael and gets in his face, and, like, Sherry Moon is, like, giving him a look like, mm, mm. I-, I can't tell if it's, like, a don't you do it, or if it's, like, go on mike i don't know what it means it's just a look she shoots her son she shoots her son a look and then he's like brandishing his knife still while he's got lots of holes in him and he's like creeping it up behind Lori, and then he drops it when sherry moon shoots him the look so i think maybe it's like a don't you do it kind of thing or something so he drops the knife and then Lori says i love you brother and she picks up the knife and she starts stabbing a whole bunch uh tommy jarvis style like I know you probably don't get the reference, but uh, Friday the 13th, um, part four, the final chapter, I think. Um, Corey Feldman, uh, he takes a machete to Jason Voorhees and goes, Die! 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 And she basically does that, Um, but less Canadian, maybe, because this actress very well may be Canadian. Uh, (laughs) But she stabs the fuck out of him, uh, and I'm pretty sure he's already dead, but she commences stabbing him. and then she steps out of the shed wearing his mask. Uh, and she falls to her knees and she takes off the mask. And then we cut to the final, sh- we like crossfade to the final shots of the film where she's in the Kubrick room. Uh, it's just the 
ultra long rectangular uh, hospital room that's it's all white gotcha. looks really neat very kubrickian in its design uh, and choice of camera movement and angle um and she's in this hospital bed and the, we, the camera pushes in and we see she's all she's got dark circles under her eyes and has a sinister look on her face and then we see uh sherry moon and the white horse walking towards her from the opposite angle and then she gives a little smirk and then cut to credits um and by the way uh from when she's like wearing the mask to this final shot uh it's the only time that any like any of the original halloween music plays as far as i recall like the john carpenter score that is the rest of it's kind of like uh industrial kind of stuff but uh also done by tyler bates who worked on the previous film but um the director's cut of the film and i'm working from memory here so apologies if i get the details wrong uh loomis calls out michael does in fact draw him out of the shed and then i think there's like a a little bit more action like there there's like some some violence and stunts and whatnot maybe a wall gets knocked down or something and uh michael myers steps out of the shed grabs hold of loomis and stabs him pretty i think it's just like a a normal stabbing (laughs) pretty standard really okay pretty standard Standard. (laughs) pretty 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 good not a whole lot more than that though pretty good yeah (laughs) yeah he stabs loomis and this is where uh Tyler Maines, Michael Myers, speaks in the Rob Zombie director's cut. He Ugh. says just the word die. Ugh. I mean, I, f- I feel like this is a missed opportunity given the relationship of, of this particular Loomis and this particular Michael Myers, where it's like, you, you left me or something, or like you you made me or something. Maybe would have more been more poignant. Uh, but he just says, die! And he stabs him. And he, I'm pretty sure he kills him. And then uh, all the cops shoot Michael Myers and he dies. He just gets shot a bunch, uh, and he falls down. And then also in the director's cut, I think Laurie like approaches the the downed Loomis. I don't even know if he's dead, but he's on the ground, and uh, she picks up the knife and makes a move to like stab him or something. And then she also gets shot. And I guess the reason we have two different endings is that the studio was not comfortable with having no doors left open. Where it's like if if we're gonna let you kill Michael Myers, we gotta leave the door open for someone to take 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 up the mantle. I guess kind of similar to Daniel Harris in Halloween Four. Okay. Where it's just like you know we're gonna pretend that Michael Myers falling down a hole counts as him dying, but in exchange you get this little girl in a clown mask stabbing her sister or whatever the fuck. <clears throat> okay. And, and yeah, that's that's both endings of Rob Zombie's Halloween Two. All right. Um, didn't make a lick of fucking sense in its last half hour, but uh, you know, it has some moments. Like yeah. it's not a complete waste, not at all. Yeah, it's not a complete waste of time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is the end of the Rob Zombie movies. Um, <laughs> I think that there will be one more episode that'll drop sometime this week when this when this one airs. Uh, that'll be a fun one to talk about. Uh, but we have to have a, a quick talk about, is Rob Zombie a good director? Um, and I think, now that we're through the other side, we've watched four of his films for the podcast. Um, I think he definitely has he definitely has a lot of strengths, definitely has some weaknesses. Uh, I think dialogue is a big one. 
I don't think dialogue is as big of an issue in this movie. Actually, the, I don't have really any any issues with the dialogue. I think the issue was the story. Just some of the story didn't quite make sense. It didn't quite fit. Um, there's enough killing, uh, and it wasn't gratuitous. Like we, I mean, the, the opening scene is great. Like that, those first twenty minutes are great. Um, but the rest of the kills in the movie are just kind of like, yeah, just kind of getting shit done. You get a few highlights here and there. Um, but yeah, I think I'd give him, as far as like his directing is concerned, I think I'd give him like a 68%. Maybe, maybe a 70, 70%. Um, but what do you, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think I agree with you for the most part, like not to be super boring about it but i i agree with pretty much everything you said i think he does have some clear strengths and some also very clear weaknesses um he does seem to have problems with uh focus Mm. like like maintaining a cohesive narrative from start to finish like he gets lost in the weeds every once in a while like he seems like he gets interested in elements that aren't exactly essential to getting getting the most out of the story and the characters where it's like he get like maybe maybe he's improvisational uh similar to how a lot of the performances in his films seem to be where maybe like like i mentioned with the white horse in this film that was literally just thrown in there kind of at the last minute before they started filming where he's like he just decided he wanted to put that in there because he thought it was neat it had very little to do with like enhancing the story in any way um it probably just added layers of complication because i'm pretty sure animal handling on on a live film set is is you know costly and time consuming and probably not exactly easy i mean they always say kids and animals are are the things you want to stay away from if you're a novice director or if you're just a director who wants to get shit done honestly (laughs) um but yeah he does seem to lack focus sometimes um, I'm very curious how uh, Three from Hell is, mm. um, because I will say uh, House of a Thousand Corpses is flawed in a lot of ways. But Devil's Rejects, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I do remember the performances in it being very strong. Williams, William Forsyth is a little bit of outside of that movie. like He feels like he's given too much slack. Yeah. Um, but our, our main three are pretty good. And I want to say that might be an example of one of his better movies. Again, it's been a really long time since I've seen it, but I'm curious if he if he learned lessons um, by the time he got to Three from Hell, or if maybe he forgot some things or indulged in some of the wrong things by the time he got to that one. So you got me thinking about the pale horse, like it's a it's a white horse. But I started thinking about it. I'm like, there's definitely something I'm missing. In the Bible, the pale horse is supposed to be, I believe, symbolizing death or carrying death. Uh, so just just on that, that could have been something here where uh, Sherry Moon, the mom, symbolizes death and like it's his motivation is just that. So it could have been something there, but he didn't say that specifically. He could have, but he didn't. Um, well, not to put too fine a point on it, I actually have no idea if this is true or not, but Rob Zombie has a little bit of the stink of a person who maybe was raised in an environment where Bible stuff was commonplace. <laughs> um, he was raised in Massachusetts, and uh, I think they've got some Catholic stuff going on over there. Uh, they got some Jesus. They got some Jesus, <laughs> they got some Jesus there. Um, 
But yeah, that concludes Rob Zombie Month. Yeah, I, I think I think the the answer to our question will never truly present itself. But you know, this is it's been fun examining uh, mm-hmm. his filmography because I don't think we've we watched anything that was ac- actually bad. Mm-mm. I think it was all flawed, maybe maybe lacking in in certain elements, but nothing was outright bad. Mm-hmm. So. This was a fun project. Maybe we'll revisit it someday. More than likely not. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've covered everything that we need to cover for Rob Zombie. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, this was this was Kyle's Killer October 2022 edition. Uh, look forward to next year uh, when Kyle will once again, uh, I'm sure, come up with some very interesting picks for us. But uh, in the meantime, folks at home, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias at Catching Up on Cinema on the Instagram, as well as at Catching Cinema on the Twitter. Uh, and you can also find the podcast on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. So fucking Google it. Google it. And that being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Groovy. Cool.